Mr. Arman, how are you doing today? Doing well, Mr. Strongman. How are you doing? Kicking ass, all killer, no filler. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, I've been coming up with more responses to how are you doing, you know. Usually everybody just responds good, right? So, kicking ass, all killer. Bro, I was at Walmart recently and the lady right in front of me um was getting checked out and the cashier on autopilot was like how's your day going ma'am you know and the lady in front of me was like awful and now the cashier was like what the heck like what am i supposed to say <laughs> <laughs> cuz the autopilot answer normally is it's going well what about you so once you're presented with like a completely different outlier you have to like change your mannerisms too that's like okay um well why is it going awful ma'am and yeah i have a friend who moved to europe and apparently in many european countries people don't people are not very what do you say as they're not very talkative as they are in america so in the us and even in india you would just go to someone and say hey how are you doing and it means nothing but there are places in europe where if you said hey how are you doing that that would be considered like hey what i i don't know you Yeah. or it would be like an actual conversation like he he will give you a serious answer i'm doing well but this and this is not going well for me so it's a cultural thing where in india and in america how are you doing is not interpreted as a, a real question it's just courtesy and you're supposed to say well it's a filler it's a filler yes it doesn't mean anything no one no one is asking you how are you actually doing but in european countries you know these slovakian countries i think Mm-hmm. they they will actually stop and be like answer you if you ask them that and be a bit startled because someone they did not know asked them how they are doing man that would be so weird like if you take everything so literally it's like the phrase what's up it's like that's just a filler but it's like for some people who take it very literally they're like well the ceiling <laughs> what else is supposed to be up <laughs> no what i mean is it's a cultural thing right in our culture this particular question of what's going on what's up mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have meaning it just you're always supposed to answer good even if things are not good but yeah. in other cultures it's more of a meaningful question so yeah that that's one thing i've noticed but yeah the lady who answered awful that's definitely going to startle someone but at least she's being honest you know Yeah because something that's been happening in Tampa more recently is that uh you ever heard of a hit and run? Um I think when you crash a car into someone and then you just run away. Yeah, and it's like it's been happening a lot more in Tampa because a lot of people are moving here and a lot of the streets are narrow as it is and the parking spots are even narrower. So sometimes a car is backing up and they'll bump into another car and at that point you have two options. either you stay and let the person know that you bumped into them or you just run away and many people just run away and to file a hit and run is such an annoying process because you got to call the cops the cops need to come they ask you a bunch of questions and you're just over here like man I don't want to do this I just want to go on with my day and then ultimately it comes down to do you know who hit you like this is what the cops ask you It's like no I didn't I don't know who hit me otherwise why am I calling you for and it just goes nowhere so the lady in front of me she had one of these hit and runs happen to her so when the Walmart lady asked like how's your day going she's like awful and she starts to explain why it was awful 
<laughs> it happened and to you must be like, lady, yeah, move it, on. <laughs> it happened to me too, where it's like uh, some guy just hit the right side of my car and I come out of this taco place. I see there's a dent in my car and I'm like, man, this is going to be an annoying thing to deal with now. It's not anything that's hurting like me driving, but it, it's just an aesthetic look where you see these little bumps on the side of your car. It, it, it doesn't look good. Man, I totally know what you mean. I had this guy on a scooter crash into my car and mm-hmm. left a nice big scratch on it. And for a while I was like, whoa, okay, so this is a car that's a month old and now it has this huge scratch on it. Mm. And my father looks at me, I'm showing him the scratch and he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. More, more are going to come here. <laughs> Get used to it. This yeah. is a road, like, this is a city. Get used to it. But I'm surprised that you need to know who crashed into you because here, right, if your car gets damaged, you can just go to the insurance company and they will fix it, whether you know who crashed into you or not. Yeah, I mean, it's the same here. And they never directly ask you, like, who crashed into your car. But it's ultimately leading towards that. They're like, do you have, like, any idea? It's like, no, man, like, I was inside. Like, I was not present when the person hit my car. But, like, these guys like from the cops perspective, I see what they're dealing with because they don't have much information to go by. So a lot of these hit and runs nowadays, it's like, unless it was recorded or something like that, uh, you're probably going to have to fix the car yourself. You can get insurance, but you know how us brown people do. We're not trying to get the insurance and stuff involved. We're trying to like bypass that. So that's, that's what it works like here. Do you drive a lot though? Do you drive a lot? Because you live in the city. I drive a lot. I enjoy driving. So earlier, right? So if you had asked me this question two years ago, mm-hmm. I would say I don't drive at all. I just take my driver for everything. I, I have a driver to go anywhere and I can do whatever I want in the back of my car. So that is still true for driving in the city. So when I'm driving in the city, I prefer not to drive myself simply because it's too much of a pain in the ass. But when I'm driving away from the city, if I'm going hiking or somewhere else, if I'm going to travel like for six, seven hours, I'm going to get a long drive. I really enjoy that driving process. It's a way to clear your head. One thing I noticed is that earlier, my older car was a manual. So it made driving very annoying in the city. But this automatic car, even in the city, it's fine to drive in. It's not that annoying. You can actually enjoy it more. Are there a lot of traffic jams? Not that many, but when you get stuck in one, it takes longer than you think to resolve. So mm. a road that would usually take you 30 minutes might take you an hour and a half in traffic. And what's it like with, like, do you guys have subways? Is train usage common? How's that? Now, see, I can answer that question by that for docks my location. <laughs> really okay yeah indian cities are very unique in how they are structured so you can tell which city someone is in based by how much traffic they have or how they respond to these questions mm, okay okay see good catch <laughs> what about you do you like to drive i like to drive um i mean i like to drive when there's not that much cars on the road when there's not too much traffic um, so for these long road trips, I enjoy driving, but like the part of Tampa that I live in every now and then at a certain time, it's so freaking packed where you're just moving like an inch 
every five minutes. Uh, so I like to drive if the roads are free. Um, the, the difference between Tampa and Florida and like up north is that up north, a lot of people don't drive. It's like when I was um, living in Jersey for a while, it's like I was going to take my car. And some of the people were like, why are you going to take your car to the New York, Jersey area? I was like, why wouldn't I? It's like, it's much better to just walk to places or just take the subway. So it depends where you live in the US. Like the car can be like that asset or it can be a liability. I see. So, but isn't everything in the US so far away? I remember things are like 30 miles away, 40 miles away. It's insane. The US is not a walkable country. Well, see, that's from the outsider's perspective. But once you come in the US, each state has a different feel. Where in Florida, if you don't have a car, good luck. You're, you're going to be taking a bus because there's no subway or anything here. But if you go to New York, like I know a lot of people that um, live in New York that don't have a car. You could just walk anywhere. And if you're not walking, you could take a subway and it's pretty effective. So it really depends which part in the U.S. you're in. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. I have friends who live in rural areas in the U.S. And if you mm. don't have a car there, you're just screwed. You're in the middle of nowhere. There is nothing around you. And everything is 100 miles away. So grocery store, 100 miles away. Mm -hmm. Hospital, 100 miles away. Everything is hundreds of miles away. That's crazy. Yeah. Imagine you're feeling sick one day. You have to go to a hospital. Like, 100 oh. miles away. That's miles. insane. Yeah. I mean, there's... Do you ever plan to come to the US? Or is that a docs-worthy question? Just Who knows? Visit? Maybe I've lived in the US for a while. Who knows, man? I have no comments on this matter. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I went through your like page a couple of times and you mentioned like India is a place you, you want it to be long term. I think India is the best place to be long term for now, mm -hmm. simply because India is a country that's rising above, right? Most countries, like if you take the US, Europe, all of these countries are in free fall. Their mm -hmm. cultures are in free fall and their economy is in free fall. On the other hand, Indian culture is becoming more dominant, especially on the internet, as more and more Indians come on the net. Mm. And the economy is on the rise. And as, thing, as time moves on, India is becoming more and more and more relevant. So when, the, when a country grows, there are so many opportunities and it's far more profitable to be in a growing country than in a country which is shrinking. So mm. I would say it's far better to be in India than it, in, that, than it is to be in Europe or the U.S., and of course, you know, the people who want to work jobs and everything, yeah, for them, it still makes sense to work abroad. But if you are a businessman, especially you have an online business, Dubai and India are the best places to be. These places are rising up in the world really, really fast. People speak English. People are friendly. The law, everything is good. And taxes are reasonable. I mean, in India, they're still a bit high, in my opinion. But in Dubai, there are no taxes. Mm. and your life is good, everything is cheap, you can hire help, and you can actually live a great life without spending too much money. That means that you can have a good investment portfolio. Right. So I'm, I'm going to guarantee that, Arman, I live a better life than you at like a third a price than you pay. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you already mentioned that like you have a maid, you had a driver, 
your maid can cook too. So, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, here, like, it really depends. Like, because my, my thing is like, when you go to India or any of these places overseas, excluding Dubai, because Dubai is like, seriously, like, like you see all types of people, like you'll see black, Spanish, white. And this was like a decade ago when I went, and especially nowadays, like a lot of people are going to Dubai. The main reason I don't think a lot of people from overseas are like flooding to India right now is because the general perception is like, they're going to see guys like you and me there, just like brown guys and girls. But how multicultural is it? It's not that multicultural. I mean, there are a lot of foreigners here, but India has a big population and the vast majority of people here are, of course, Indians. Mm-hmm. But but everybody in India, especially in cities, understands and speaks English. Oh, yeah. So you will not have communication issues. For example, if you go to Thailand, right? People in Thailand are not well-versed with English. So you kind of have to repeat yourself and you get answers in broken English. Mm-hmm. That does not happen in India. In India, people speak good English. So right. you don't have communication issues. In India, everything is cheap as hell. So you're not spending that much money. You can live a great life in a thousand bucks a month. Well, if I were you, man, I would literally be keeping this hush-hush. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, like seriously, because the thing with, like, what you're saying on with India, on a very small scale, like a very tiny scale, that's what I'm experiencing with Tampa. Where in the U.S., like so many different places are overly political. Uh, it's like hectic, it's expensive and all that. But here's Tampa, like so much opportunities. It's great for entrepreneurship, great for tech. Um, prices are very low in many aspects. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, let's keep it hush hush. I'm getting my haircut. And the barber is like, did you notice a lot of people are flooding to um, Tampa recently? I was like, yeah. And when a lot of people flood to your place, that's what you get uh, from what we were talking about in the beginning of the episode. You get hit and runs. So I'm like, bro, if I were you, I'd be keeping it hush hush. I can see a perspective. Don't come here, guys. Don't come here. (laughs) You're living like a king, low key. (laughs) Yeah, but India is a country of 1.3 billion people. And even if 100 million people come here, it's not going to impact things so much. So it's fine. We can share it for a while. Yeah, yeah. See, the reason that I think Dubai like blew up the way it did was because like you can't like before you could say it's like one of these like arabic places where like those sultans live but nowadays like um, you really don't know you're like what kind of place is dubai so i think for india to get that uh, like multiple people from the world coming there like they have to see a lot of variety uh, in terms of skin color like as gross as it may be to say it's like you could have a variety in terms of like maids um, food and all of that, but they need to see variety in terms of people. Otherwise, like people from different parts of the world aren't just going to swarm to India like Dubai. So Which with Dubai, I think right? Good, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's good, right? Yeah. But with Dubai, I think the biggest the biggest reason why so many foreigners are going there are twofold. Firstly, Dubai has no taxes which attracts a lot of international businesses, especially, you know, people like us, people who can work from anywhere, people who are digital nomads in a way, 
or location independent businessmen are heavily attracted to Dubai. And mostly people who do business internationally have some kind of base in Dubai. So that's one reason. The second reason is that Dubai is unlike most Middle Eastern places where Dubai is actually very stable to do business in. The currency is pegged to the dollar. So, you know, you're, it's not depreciating like the Indian rupee is depreciating against the dollar all the time. So mm-hmm. even the euro depreciates against the dollar. So that's one other advantage. So it's a stable, politically and societally stable country. For example, if you take other Middle Eastern countries like if take, take Iran, Iraq, all these countries are afraid of, you know, some or the other thing happening and then violence breaks out or whatever. Dubai is a very stable country and it has a reputation for being welcoming to foreigners. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think people are attracted to Dubai. With India, I think what happens is that people are not that familiar with the processes in India. And, uh, you know, they kind of consider India to be a dirty place, right? You know, this is like people pooping on the streets or whatever. And they don't, they they think it's a risky place, you know, where if you go to the media, they'll tell you that, you know, all the women in India are being raped or some other bullshit. Even though India is one of the safest cities, countries in the world for women, if you take statistics, if you take the rape statistics, mm-hmm. I think the rape rate in the US per capita is 17 or 18 times what it is in India. And in Europe, in many countries, it's like 30, 40 times what it is in India. So India is extremely safe for women. It's just that we have a large population. So the absolute number of crimes is higher. Mm-hmm. But if you take the crimes that happen for per million people, it's much, much, much lower than these Western countries. Right. In India, so India is pretty safe, but there's a stereotype that India is unsafe and un, and it's dirty. That's a stereotype also, which is partially, the dirty stereotype is partially true. Many places in India are a little filthy. But there are many places which are completely clean. So I think that's what's holding India back, these stereotypes. But I think that eventually this will correct itself, right? These things are self-fixing with time. Because if you went back 20 years ago and asked people what they thought of China, what would they tell you? You It's a poor country where everyone's uneducated and they're all idiots and broke. And what do they say about China now? They don't say those things. China has bigger, better cities than USA, yeah. Mm-hmm. So eventually India's economy is going to keep growing and growing and growing and the world will be forced to change its opinion. Mm-hmm. But for now, it is how it is. Yeah, I could definitely see that. The same thing from what I've been hearing, like I don't have any personal experience with this, is um, Africa, where there's different, like one very important guy was Akon, who was like trying to build uh, like his own city in Africa. I didn't hear much about that, but he was a like a big recruiter for why more people should go to Africa. Like you could technically also have a maid, live like a king, have good food, nice culture within certain parts. And like for guys like you and me who have never been to Africa, we have a perception that there's only like one group of people that live there. But in reality, in certain parts of Africa, apparently it's like highly multicultural. So I wonder if the tide is going to shift for that continent as well. Okay, I'm going to preface this by the fact that I have never lived in Africa, mm-hmm. but I've heard uh-huh. different tales about it. I have uh-huh. friends who live there, right? Who are locals, African locals. 
Right. And I think in the northern part of Africa, right, not sub-Saharan Africa, the above part, Egypt, Morocco, and all these places, I think those countries are still much better than sub-Saharan Africa. I haven't heard too many complaints from Egyptians or Moroccans. Mm-hmm. So I would say those are still fine. There are many African countries which are still the colonies of France. And even today, they are the colonies of France. In in fact, because France decides a monetary policy and those countries are broke as hell and have extremely high AIDS rate, crime rate, and very low education rates. So those countries are not worth living in. For example, if you take a country like Chad, you would not want to live in Chad despite its name. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend of mine who lives in South Africa. And this guy is, I think he's half white. I'm not sure. But this guy was telling me that in South Africa, the situation is such that it's very, very common to get raped in South Africa or to get shot in South Africa. And the police does nothing. So apparently a couple of people were trying to break in his house for a week. And now every, almost everybody carries a gun around. And the government in South Africa just passed a law that if someone is trying to break into your house, you can't shoot them. Because when you shoot them, you know, they might get injured. So he's like, he he doesn't know what to do anymore. So he built a big wall around his house. And there were these weirdos who were still coming to his house, trying to rape his daughter, you know, trying to rape his sister and everything. And being like, you know, we're going to rape your sister. And the police does nothing. You can keep calling the police and they will do nothing. So I'm not really sure if this is the common experience in South Africa or just this one person's experience. Mm -hmm. But apparently Africa is actually an unsafe place to live in. It is not some, this is not a stereotype. Like in India, it's a stereotype. You know, India is unsafe. I I can show you data and I literally live here and it's not unsafe. But Africa, the residents of Africa will tell you how unsafe it is. And so will the statistics in Africa. And, you know, one, just a simple proxy you can take is the education rate, right? The rate of education in Africa is really low. And so is the English penetration rate. So who am I going to talk to? People really don't speak English there. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This is something that, what do you see like 20 years from now, though? Like, what's your, are you bullish or bearish? On what? Africa? Yeah. Like it becoming a more popular place to live. I heard this from a Chinese guy, okay? And it's a very apt quote. It's like the USA is a, a one sec. The USA is a tiger, but it's a sick tiger. China is like a wolf. India is like a dog. It doesn't bother you first, but if you mess with it, it starts to bother you. All the other countries are rabbits. Africa is the grass. Hmm. Okay. Um, do you know like what that means? With the so Africa part at least? Mm-hmm. So the deconstruction is as follows, okay? Mm-hmm. The USA is a sick tiger. So this was this is animal is at the top, but he's sick, and eventually this thing is gonna die off. China is a wolf, right? So China is someone who's going to go and attack you first. It's going to mess with you. It's go- it goes to all these countries and starts to, you know, interfere in their local politics, try to mess with them, try to open doors. And it's the initiator of aggression. India 
is like a dog where it doesn't initiate aggression, but it fights back when it is aggressed against. All the other countries are like rabbits where they're, they're essentially a meal for anyone who wants to have it. And they kind of breed a lot. Not exactly breed in people, but you know, they are growing slowly richer. Right. And they're keeping the money with themselves. Africa is a grass in the sense that Africa is a continent which everybody exploits to get rich. Mm. So China right now is exploiting Africa to get rich. It's colonizing Africa again. Earlier, the Europeans colonized Africa to get rich. So according to him, the analogy is that Africa is like the grass. It's where the nutrition is coming from in a way for everybody right. else. Hmm. Interesting. Do you mainly agree with that quote? I partially agree with it in the sense that this is how things are. On a, in a very crude way, it is true. This is how things are, yeah. It seems to, although I do believe that there are more animals in the sea field. There are, there's not just rabbits, dog, wolf, and sick tiger. The Australians are like, what about us, mate? Australia doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, Australia does. So I've, <laughs> I've been noticing. <laughs> so a few of my family members, like when they move out from Bangladesh, they either go to Canada, U.S., and recently, a lot have been going to Australia. I have like one client from Australia, and he talks a lot of good stuff about it. Once again, this is one of those things where I'm just going by other people's anecdotes because I've never been. But at, at, at a surface level, like all I can first address is like the viral clips that I see of like this big snake in like one of the malls. Like, is it true? Are there wild animals all over in Australia? The guy's like, no, 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 it's not really like that. There are some dangerous animals, but that's not the norm that you're going to have a human experience with. So he's over here like recruiting me. It's sort of like, you know, you, you recruit people for India. Most people are just recruiters. They, they want people to like, you know, see what their worldview is about. So he's over here explaining Australia in a very magical sort of way. And I'm like, man, like how come more people don't know about this place? So I wonder if Australia has some like potential in the global space. It does. It does. The only issue with Australia is that there are not enough people there and mm. it's too far away from the rest of the world. So shipping is a bit of a hassle, right? Like it's expensive. Right. So Canada. You Canada, Canada, yes. Canada is a rich place in the sense that it's it's it has a lot of intelligent people. Although, in my opinion, it's kind of going in a very uh, authoritarian, leftist way. So it's, it might actually go the way of the Maoists. Simply because you can just have a look at what they did, right? There was a protest happening where there was a bunch of truckers and they were honking horns. And this is how the Canadian government dealt with it. They firstly cut off the bank accounts of all the protesters. And then they shut off the bank accounts of all the people who donated to these protesters. Whoa. And then they beat the Not shit yet. out of the protesters. And I think they killed one of them. And they, they had their the horses. Yeah, what? they beat the I shit out of them. That. Yeah, they beat the shit out of them. And they had horses run over them in many cases. Uh, Canada is, at this point, it's an authoritarian country. Mm. So I, I am bull. I, I don't have anything against the Canadian people. But their government seems to be extremely 
communal based where they have these wood banks and they want to appease their wood banks and they don't really care about actual values of liberty so it's clearly an authoritarian place and has very it's moving towards the direction of china i could say mm. and you know this guy who is running it i forget his name justin trudeau justin or something mm-hmm. yeah, he's been praising the ccp a lot so my instinct tells me that he wants to replicate this model wow see that's a, dif- a difficult thing with like assessing these spots uh, or these like different places because you know you may want to just go there initially as a tourist and then once you're there as a tourist you're like hmm i like the people here i could see myself living here and then you hear about the the political side of it which is like uh like this is eventually going to affect me if i'm a resident so it's it becomes very tricky to decide where to live see the thing is arman no matter where you go right there will mm-hmm. always be some or the other kinds of problems that's oh, just yeah. a fact of life the thing is that you have to find pr- places where the problems don't affect you for example if you move to an islamic country and they in that islamic country say they kind of force women to wear a burqa and you have a wife well you might not want to live there for the sake of your wife because it affects your personal life right your wife can't go out alone so you have to do everything now you got to go buy groceries yourself because you know they won't let your wife roam around by herself so mm-hmm. this is a place which is affecting your personal life and you might not want to live there as opposed to another islamic country which is the, both these countries are islamic but let's say the next country is the uae where they don't have such restriction so even though this is the same you know cultural thing going on it's both islamic but the uae is not affecting your own lifestyle as much so you want to find places where you can live a great life despite the political issues that country has so india has its own issues but you can live in india without the political issues affecting you in right. china you can't do that in china the government controls your life it decides where you can and can't go what you can and can't say and if you say certain things you just disappear for 5 years straight So China actually affects your personal life and it restricts what you can say can't say can do can't do can eat can't eat and in China apparently you can't even play video games for more than a couple of hours that's their rule and the video game shuts off like if you play more than 3 hours or something 2 hours a day or whatever some limit the game stops working mhm so they have all these rules and they kind of affect your How life right how do they right? monitor that I don't I don't know I don't know maybe they do it account wise or they do it with some facial recognition technology I, I'm not sure That's But yeah, yeah they do that and in China it's it's weird like this the street camera tracks you so their facial recognition technology is so good that mm-hmm. they can always tell where you are and what you're wearing so Armani talks last seen at X location wearing this 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 and they build a profile like you know likes to go to this place etc 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 talks about these topics interests right and yeah so china is not a place you would want to live in because it's directly affecting how you live so it's things like that that's what you see i think if you focus on the large issues that countries have most countries have issues from an yeah. outsider's perspective if you look at the USA you'd go insane you'd be like i would never want to live in this place but i doubt those issues are affecting you right now 
Oh yeah, and that's why you always need to like take all this stuff with a grain of salt because what people are seeing, it's going to always be like that drama, dramatization of it, right? It's like what's going to go viral, that's going to go viral, and then other people are going to see it. And if they've never been there, like on autopilot, that's what they're going to do first thing. So it's like you're going to see some of the most like uh, traumatizing stories of like U.S. And you're going to be like, these poor guys that live in the U.S., they must be dealing with this all the time. And it's like you go to the average person, they're going to be like, what? Like I haven't even heard of these stories. You have, but I haven't. It's because the media plays a big role in all of this. It doesn't matter how you try to dance around it. It's like the media is going to play a big role in deciding how the perception of a global place is in regards to you. But yeah, I mean, some of the like, like whatever like awful things you're hearing about a certain place, a lot of the times, like the people that live there are not experiencing that. So there, there are the, like you talked about the macro issues that, you know, you got to make your peace with that. Uh, I've also noticed another thing harsh called the micro issues where let's say you live in a residential community is that a common thing in India or are there like mainly apartments and duplexes there? Uh, both. So yeah, residential communities are also very common. Like you have like a, like a garage and like two door garage, like a typical home. You have that? That exists in India. Yes. Okay. Okay. So when people are moving into a residential community, um, they're not just living in the house. They're really buying into the lifestyle they're like i want a calm predictable safe life and a lot of people who have lived in residential communities they have this horror story of like their neighbor moving in and this person has a completely different philosophy it's like a, a loose cannon and this person throws these loud parties every friday and it just ruins the atmosphere of the residential community so this is what i call a micro issue it's like it doesn't feel like a big deal but when you're trying to sleep and you bought into the predictable lifestyle and then you have a neighbor who is like this loose cannon like you don't know if he's going to throw a party on a tuesday or a thursday it's like oh man like it could really ruin like the vibe of your home yeah i know what you mean i know what you mean i think it you know, it's one of those things, right, where your life experience is not just dependent on you, right? It also depends on the people you are surrounded with. Mm -hmm. And you you don't always get to choose who you are surrounded with. Right. So I've heard that, say, if you are a black person in the US, you are likely to grow up in a ghetto where most people are, you know, they have ghetto values. I had Ed Latimore or someone was telling me, have you heard of Ed Latimore? Oh, yeah, he's cool. Yeah, someone was telling me that they in in their ghettos they actually mock you for working hard, and oh, yeah, it's yeah, supposed yeah. to be a normal thing to join gangs. So if you if you don't have a gang, then you're you're likely to become a victim of a gang. Mm -hmm. So all of these are kind of the reason why I would say that someone who's poor might stay poor. But if you're poor and you're born in that situation, you you unless you have an outsider's perspective, you would not know how to get out of it. Right. So yeah, I would say that, yeah, yeah it, it depends on your life experience, depends also on the people who live among you. 
uh, not just like a guy who's blaring loud music, but if you're surrounded by people who are, say, from a different ethnicity, who speak a different language, then you will also, and your children will also absorb that culture. Yeah. So I, I, that plays a big role. Speaking of children, by the way, I would like to revisit this topic once you have kids, Arman, and you send them to American schools and they come home asking you, Daddy, am I a boy or a girl? Uh-oh. Is there, <laughs> is there a reason why you brought that up? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do recall you mentioned you had like a certain book you wanted to talk about. Does oh, yes. Yeah, firstly, I was just mocking the Americans for what they're doing with the whole gender thing. <laughs> That's I really know. funny to me as an Indian. <laughs> So I you heard could even... for, you, you could laugh for now, but whatever happens in the West eventually, yeah, it's gonna come here too. Right? Yeah, so, so <laughs> you're laughing, but you may want to be like, oh, what do I look out for? Yeah, it's like, you can laugh now, but the Swaris <laughs> is gonna come to you too. <laughs> I heard that in the US Supreme Court or something, the judge could not define what a woman is, and she was like, I am not a psychologist or something like i'm not a doctor i don't know what a woman is bro there's like these new stuff coming up all the time i will be 110 percent honest i don't know like the the climate of what <laughs> is going on with this particular issue because like if you are like say someone that's just locked into mainstream media there's always these new like talking points like you need to entertain yourself with the only reason i've heard about like all of this like uh, choosing your gender stuff was um, there's this guy named Dwayne Wade. He was like this very iconic uh, basketball player, and like he had a nice legacy and everything. But once he retired, like he started to make a lot of news because I believe his son believed that he was a girl trapped in a boy's body, and I believe the son switched his name and now wears dresses and stuff. And that was my first time being introduced to something like this. Other than that, I don't know like like this debate that's going on. Like, are you aware of this debate? Or the reason I bring it up is that I've heard from people on Twitter mostly that in the US, apparently the kids in schools are being taught about these things. So they're being taught what a transgender is, what a gay person is, what a lesbian is, and how they can be different genders. And I've heard people on Twitter, a lot of people that I know on Twitter recently started complaining about things like my kid came home to me and asked me, what gender are you? And things of this sort. So this is happening a lot in the US. Apparently they've made it in the, put it in their curriculum or something. Really? So Yeah, I'm not fully aware of the situation, but I've heard at least 20 people talk about it on Twitter in the past month or so. And I've verified this with a few people who live there a lot, like who, who grew up in the US. This was not a part of their curriculum when they were kids, but nowadays, now when their kids are going to school, they are learning about these things. And, you know, the kids are coming home and saying things like, I'm pansexual and things like that. I'm demisexual and weird things like that. And and the parents are like, what the fuck? Dude, man, like, I don't know if it's like, if it's smart to have kids go to public schools nowadays. Because when I was going to public school, we had this straight up curriculum like we had seven classes and um those seven classes were divided into odd days and even days and that was it 
nowadays new subjects are consistently being introduced and it's like it just muddies the mind of a kid who's supposed to just be going to school to um learn more not to question their own identity and all of that um i don't know if it's smart to put your kids in public school but then again like this is one of those things where you don't have much of a say unless you have a lot of money like if you have a lot of money now you could like not only theoretically take a red pill in terms of life your actions can match your behaviors as well but if let's say you don't even have like you don't have the resources to homeschool and stuff like that and put your kid into different clubs so they can build a social life then the public school is the only option so with the public school if, if it's like adding confusion into ch children rather than clarity that's trouble definitely i 100% agree with you regarding having the resources to do something about it because a lot of these people right like they're complaining about it but they they can't do anything about it in the sense that they 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 can't afford a private school so now even though they know this public school is this a brainwashing center there's not much they can do now they just have to suffer through it so yeah the, that's the reason i bring it up but the mm. other reason i bring it up is that i've been studying an ancient author called plutarch i've been reading his lives and i've been reading his other books called the moralia and he did an essay on the education of children and it's a very interesting essay and i'm willing to bet a lot of the people who are listening to our podcast they are either new mothers or new fathers or parents of small children and i think that this essay by plutarch is going to be helpful to them or even if they don't want to list, read the essay it's a long 40 page essay then i think that i would like i have a summary of the notes and i would like to discuss with them with you in the podcast okay sure so this essay first of all a lot of people believe is miscredited miscredited to plutarch but this essay was written about 2000 years ago so keep that in mind it's like a the cultural things that were going on when this essay was written was much different from what we have today okay Mm-hmm. So the first thing Plutarch says is that if you want your son to have good parentage, and if you yourself have good parentage, you have you should abstain from having sex with, you know, prostitutes, courtesans, concubines, and people like this, because what happens is that whenever you have a kid who is you know half born to a prostitute, people will bring it up throughout his life. So anytime. he wants to say something in public people would be like this guy is a son of a prostitute so it affects this guy's respect and position in society a lot so this guy here plutarch is like you should only have sex with women who are not you know these low types of women who are not courtesans concubines prostitutes you know who are free born women essentially as it allows the the son or daughter who is born to have full self respect in society and they're not being constantly humbled by everybody like you know your your you know your your mother or father is a prostitute or things like that and additionally people who are born of free men women you know especially if they if their parents are like accomplished then it fills mm-hmm. them up with pride it, it makes them proud and it makes them want to exceed their parents so that's one thing to keep in mind 
of course this is not as relevant today because we don't have kids with prostitutes we have contraception but it's something yeah, but, to keep in mind but the remix to that arsh cuz as you're bringing that up is let's say your mom did only fans or did porn it's like i could see that being a source of bullying in the future yeah exactly right so exactly that's a very good point arman right. so that's a very good modern parallel so if you marry a girl who does only fans mm-hmm. well what's going to happen to your kids right they're going to be humbled across their lives for everybody hey man i don't give a shit what you say your mom does only fans oh yeah you, i mean this guy is not going to have nearly as much self respect as he would if his mother had more respect for herself so this is a that's a very good modern parallel that's a good one on mine yeah i'll see if, like as you're bringing this up if i could like spot any other parallels to plutarch's time and like our time awesome the second one he mentions is that this is a story mm-hmm. and the story is about a king of sparta named archidamus and this king takes a wife which is short of stature i mean this wife is short no. and the spartan <laughs> people find her find him the spartans they make him pay a big fine because they say that you know your job was to give us kings and now you're going to give us kinglets mm okay okay message heard loud and clear harsh <laughs> <laughs> no no cuz i i saw one of your tweets and i i thought you were like talking about me cuz you're like cuz in one of our past episodes for anyone who's confused i said i prefer girls from like 5 foot <laughs> to 5 3 range cuz i had a growth spurt later on in my life so i thought i was going to be like 5 4 to 5 3 my entire life so i guess like to this day like i still look at shorter girls message heard loud and clear my friend yeah arman we want armani talks not armani talk clets okay <laughs> so what size do you think like what's like a humble size that they recommended he hasn't recommended a size here he okay. just told the story of you know how like your parentage determines how much pride you have mm. and taller people are more proud like they are they believe in themselves more than say shorter people he doesn't actually say that but i'm just reading between the lines here okay okay uh the next point he mentions is that to only conceive a child when you're not drunk because when you have a child when you're drunk the child themselves will be more likely to be prone to excessive drinking so i'm not sure if this is true if like if you're drunk and you fuck a girl and the girl gets pregnant the kid would also be prone to drinking but one thing i can tell you is that genetics are more fluid than people think and if you have a child when you and the wife are obese then the child is also highly likely to have genes which promote obesity mm-hmm. so before having kids it's important that you fix your health issues you know lose the weight so your kid gets the genes which are good if you have if you're obese and you have kids your kids will also have the genes which promote obesity your kids will also become fat okay okay the well, next one just to ask you one thing do you think if a father is an alcoholic the chances of the son being an alcoholic rises i think so yes i think that the father kind of sets the example for his son right okay. and if the father is an alcoholic then he is likely to be the first person who teaches his son how to drink mm. so here son have something to drink you are an adult now you can drink 
And, you know, when the father doesn't drink, it's an example to the son that I should also not drink. So, yeah, I think that plays a role, yes. Okay. Then, and then his next point, Plutarch says, he kind of makes a point that, the, you know, the right action is produced by nature, reason, and habit combined. And when you lack one of these things, right? Let, let's say that someone's nature is not so good. Let's say someone is, lacks initiative, or someone's reasoning is not so good, or someone is just doesn't very is not very hardworking. Then, by the right application of training and with the right education, these things can be fixed. And even if something is good, you should still train it to make it as good as possible. So, just like in farming, right? If the soil is good. And the, the guy who's plowing knows what he's doing and the seed is good, then you'll have a great crop. Mm -hmm. But if one of these is completely lacking, then the crop will not be there. So if the soil is completely great, but the seeds is completely nonsense, then you your soil is not going to produce anything. Or if the guy who's actually doing the farming doesn't know how to do farming, it's not going to produce anything. So to make to have an intelligent or to have a successful son, you need to have three things in order. You need to have the person's nature his sense of reason and his habits in order and even if he's deficient in something these things can be fixed and once you fix them they are just as good as if he had them mm -hmm. but even if he even if they're not as good they would still be much better than if if they were if those were not trained so he says that a lot of these things you are born with but it's important for a parent to fix the deficiencies of a child because if something is seriously lacking, then the entire produce of the child is going to be lacking. So if you have like good soil, good water, a good farmer, but the seeds are lacking, then it's as good as you're not having any water, you're not having any soil, you're not having any farmers because you will not have any growth. Mm. So you, it's your job as a parent is to make what is good even better and what is bad, make it good. And... He kind of makes a point where if you neglect things, if you neglect your kid, it, you're going to fuck him up. You're going to fuck him up really bad because kids who are neglected, they get a lot of bad habits. I will expand on this later. He has like a bigger expansion on this, but I'm going to move on to the next point mm -hmm. where he kind of drives home the point where education matters a lot and it matters according to him more than, you know, the DNA. And he tells us a story of this guy called Lycurgus, who is the person who gave Sparta its laws. And what Lycurgus does is that it takes two different dogs from the same litter of dogs and he raises them separately. One of the dogs he trains to find a scent and to hunt. And the other dog, he doesn't train properly. He just neglects him. He just feeds him. And what happens is that the one who is neglected and just fed all the time, he becomes fat and he becomes mischievous and greedy. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the dog that was trained to follow sense and hunt, this guy can you know feed himself. He's strong and useful. So now he takes both of these dogs who are from the same litter and he takes them to the public and he gathers them around and he tells them, do you look at these two dogs? And the public is like, what? why is he gathering us around? And he's like, look at these two dogs. And in front of you, I have two dogs. I have a hare, a rabbit. Mm -hmm. And I have 
a bowl of meat and then he lets both the dog loose and the dog that was the hunter he rushes to the rabbit and he kills the rabbit and he eats it and the dog that was you know neglected all its life and just fed food he rushes to the food and eats it greedily now what is the point the point is that both of these dogs are of the same litter right they are roughly the same dna mm-hmm. but they have both received different upbringings and the result is that one is a gluten fatso and the other is a hunter so mm. regardless of how your children are how you raise them to be plays a big role in how they turn out so it is your responsibility to work on your children and a lot of people what they do is that they they kind of hire servants to raise their children and plutarch is going to touch on that shortly but in the meantime he also mentions a mother's responsibility and he says that mother's responsibility is to feed the child themselves and not to hire a wet nurse to feed the child and the reason he gives is that wet nurses don't have the same affection for the child that a nurse as the mother has so the mother is going to feed the child more lovingly and make sure he's completely well fed and satiated mm-hmm. and a wet nurse is just going to do it for money right. so they don't have the love and affection and you should feed the child yourself from your own breast and if you're going to feed him food then feed him real food a modern comparison could be something like you know so let's say that you buy a baby formula for, from nestle do you know what baby formulas normally contain arman no baby formulas contain sugar soy vegetable oil so when you mm. buy these baby formulas from these corporations they don't have any love and affection for your baby and the food contains sugar soy and vegetable oil in other words it's a poison in my opinion it, it sugar soy and vegetable oil that's a poison so that's what the company is feeding your kids so if you feed your kids yourself you would feed your kids healthier foods than sugar soy and vegetable oil and that's like a modern parallel to what plutarch is saying that you should feed your kids yourself gotcha the next thing to dog brings that brings up is that it's very important to raise your kids when they are young a lot of people neglect the kids when they are toddlers and young and that's a mistake because when kids are young their minds are very impressionable and plastic and it's very easy to teach them lessons when they are of a tender age mm-hmm. because when they are elder a lot of things have become harder you know hardened in their brain and then they will have to unlearn those things it is much harder to unlearn than it is to learn just like how it's much harder to leave an impression in cold wax than it is to leave an impression in hard wax right there's actually like psychological and lessons from this soft where, wax sorry go ahead yeah Warm up wax. until up until age 7 is when your subconscious mind is the most impressionable as well if you're trying to learn any languages you're easily you're easily able to learn it as a little kid versus when you're an adult it requires more work so yeah 100 person that is true i've been learning a language it's a it's a local language here in india and it's it's much harder for me to learn than it is for kids to learn right i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to show you the quote okay so there is this quote it's saying it's by aristotle but i don't know if, who it's really by give me a child until he is 7 and i will show you the man ah i've heard a similar quote in relation to the church mm. and it's like give me a child until the age of 7 and i'll get him mm okay 
That makes a lot I of sense. I think it was, right? yeah, it's from Lee Kuan Yew. I saw it in one of his interviews. You're right. Sometimes I'll try to analyze like why certain people work the way that they do. And if you ask them enough questions, they stumble up until like their six to seven year range. Have you noticed that? No, what do you mean? Like, so like I do consulting with Armani Talks. And one time, like I was talking to this guy who was really charismatic, like super charming. Uh, he works in Xbox. And I was like, why, why do you want to talk to me for it? Like, you seem like you have it all figured out. And as we're about to like wrap up the call, I'm like, why did you hit me up for it? He's like, for some reason, anytime I'm over here, like trying to record a video, I freak out. Like I panic. I could do public speaking. I could do writing. I could do all of that. But video, I panic. So we begin our sessions and we're going on for some time. And by the third session, we discovered this memory when he was six years old. He fell um, while he was trying to skateboard and he really hurt himself. And two of his friends were like getting these big uh, camcorders and recording him as he was in pain. So at that stage, uh, like he associated the pain of falling from the skateboard, the physical pain with that camcorder of the little red light. And it just stuck to him. And once we articulated that, he was like, oh, snap, like, that's why. And once he acknowledged that, it just like loosened its grip over him and he was able to do these videos. But just think about it. Like something that happened to him at age six impacted him up until his mid thirties. I don't know, man. I haven't come across anyone like that, but that's interesting. I mean, it happens with shy people too. Like, like a lot of people that are shy, that are like not able to speak up as an adult, you go back to their childhood and you'll see like people interrupting them a lot. A lot of their guardians may have been shy or their guardians would like just lecture them a lot rather than talking to them. So a lot of shy people, because there's no such thing as a shy baby, which means that shyness was like learned at a certain point. Oh, no, there back, is such a thing as shy baby. Yeah, that, that, I think that exists. Yeah, but like I'm talking about like really shy, like they'll cry and everything. Like, I'm yeah, yeah that's what I mean. That's what I yeah, mean. Yeah. But, um, you know, so I just wanted to tie that back in with what you were saying, like early childhood is definitely important. Definitely important. Yes. You know, moving on, though, mm -hmm. just to, you know, not dwell on one point too much. Right. Plutarch then says that even in telling stories to children, you should not choose random, meaningless stories, but you should tell them stories which have a moral at the end or which teaches them something. Because you don't want to fill your mind up with foolishness and corruption and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to tell them nonsense stories. You want to come up with good stories which teach them valuable lessons about life and which are you know realistic. And that's something that even Chanakya suggested in his book, where he said that, you know, children should not be told spurious tales. Even when speaking to kids, you should speak to them with logic and you shouldn't like fill their mind up with nonsense. That sounds reasonable. Then the next point is that when choosing the slaves who will be the servants and the companions of the kid, you need to make sure that the slaves themselves are sound in character and distinct of speech. So you want the slave or, you know, the person who is going to hang around the kid, let's say walk the kid nowadays, you want the person to also be of sound character. 
and you don't want them to be barbarians or persons of low character because if a kid is around a person who is a barbarian or of a low character then the kid will absorb their commonness some of their commonness and he kind of like he has a nice uh, take on this like if you dwell with a lame man you will learn to limp mm so the modern parallel at least here in india would be a lot of richer people right they hire maids to raise their kids so the wife is not interested in raising the kids she wants to work a job or something so right. they'll hire a maid who will spend 8 9 hours with the kid and can you guess whose values the kid is going to have the maids the maids yeah so there was actually like this show where the maid was raising the daughter so much that the daughter started to call the maid mommy and then the actual mommy came and she was so furious that she fired the maid automatically and started to like you know Cry. play a bigger role yeah but the, yeah it's like i i see where it's like if you want to be in the career aspect like you ultimately do need like you just have so much time in the day so it's like so that happens in india as well like you get a maid to raise your kid a lot of people do that here a lot of rich people i think mm-hmm. i know I know people here who have four kids and have four maids to raise them. Damn. Yeah, I I never agree with that either. I think it's bullshit that what they're doing is like not good for the kid, but these people are, you know, rich people, right? And when I say rich, I mean like they're modern in the western way and their wives are modern in the western way, which means that the wife is not interested in raising the kids. She just had the kids for her own satisfaction. and now she doesn't want to do anything with the responsibilities of having a kid she wants to go to a dance class yoga class get some sleep watch some tv and things like that she doesn't want to raise the kid so the maid raises the kid so it's very common here not not all the rich people have maids question is how are they rich is it like one party that started a successful business and now both the couple is rich or both of them are working so they're rich in the sense that let's say that both of them grew up in the money um mm. they have never been poor in their life they both inherited some kind of business from their fa- families and that's what they do and the wife is super modern she is a feminist whatever whatever you know all rich people girl all rich parent girls tend to have these tendencies and she does not want to have the responsibilities of running a house and neither is the guy and this is where you end up The next point Plutarch brings is to not have your kids be raised by slaves that were taken in war mm-hmm. or by barbarians or people who are unstable. And he kind of says something very interesting. He says that nowadays people do things like this where they take their most capable slaves and they tell the most capable slaves that your job is to manage the farm. Then they take the next most capable slaves and they tell them that your job is to manage the ships. The next one manages the factors. the next one manages the house towards and the next one does the money lending etc and when they find a slave who is good for nothing that's the slave they pick for raising the kids so mm. he's like a lot of people pick the worst the useless the most useless people to become the teachers of kids and i can tell you this is what is happening in the modern world where if you ask if you go to any pre primary school or a primary school and you go and ask like the, the the teacher 
and you go have a conversation with them you will realize that most people who are teachers are the least capable people that humanity has to offer because it's a low paying job right and the only people who become teachers are people who could not do anything better and of course there are teachers who are passionate about passionate about teaching i'm not talking about those but i mean the vast majority of teachers became teachers because they could not find anything better to do anything higher paying so as a society we are now allotting our least capable members of society our least intelligent to become teachers of children so although plutarch was talking about this on a micro level of people hiring their worst slaves to you know raise the kids we as a society are doing this, a similar thing where we hiring our dumbest people and they are becoming teachers man that is so accurate at the point where i didn't even think about that like when you were initially bringing up this point of plutarchs i was thinking about like nannies and like babysitters and stuff but yeah i mean the teachers technically are spending a lot of time with their kids and if this is like a messed up person what's the chances that they're not messing up your kids as well exactly so plutarch says that the teachers you must find are people who are intelligent they're free from scandal in their own life who have good manners and who have life experience and you should find the best teachers you can find and mm-hmm. he says that the root of all goodness is a proper education and that comes from a proper teacher and then he quotes socrates okay oh by the way before i move on to that there's one more point let me I'm going to start there. There's a lot. Let's just go through a it, few more. Yeah. This is a 40 page essay. <laughs> Good lord, man. <laughs> yeah, he says so. a lot of people will hire teachers just as a favor to their friends. And they're like that's the dumbest thing you can do. He's like you should always hire the best teacher you can find. And he gives the example that if you were sick, would you hire a bad doctor as a favor to a friend? no right you would hire the no. best doctor possible so you should hire the best teacher and then he kind of drives home the point where he is like he quotes socrates socrates i don't know what's the right pronunciation the second one uh, socrates and he's like go to the, the the you know the richest part of your city and ask them ask the people who live there that while you are diverting all of your attention to making money have you given any thought to the sons you're going to leave them to leave the money to and this is something i've noticed a lot from my accounting and tax days where people would work super hard to get a lot of money they would die and the person the the son they're leaving the money to is a complete moron who blows it away in five years <laughs> so imagine you working 30 years really hard saving a lot of money depriving yourself only for your son to inherit it, inherit it and like blow it on random nonsense oh that happens and even nowadays yeah it happens a lot it's it's actually the common thing yeah cuz they never uh, learned how to build a business yeah so he's like you should that's a, that's a big reason why you need to pay a lot of attention to the education of a child and you know upbringing of a child and not just on making money mm-hmm. because at the end of the day all your money is going to go to this kid and if this kid is an idiot then your money is also gone and he, there's a funny passage here where he's like a lot of people will try to save money on the kids teachers you know and the mm-hmm. example is that let's say that 
there's a there's a popular philosopher he knows his name is aristippus and a man goes to aristippus and asks him how much money would you charge to teach a kid and he's like i'll charge a thousand drachmas and the man exclaims that a thousand drachmas i could buy a slave in that much money and his entire job would be teaching a kid and then aristippus is like you can have if you buy a slave then you'll have two slaves your son and the one you buy mm. and he says that what you're looking for is ignorance which is cheap so i'm sure you will find it where would you find a teacher for your kid would you be the teacher i would teach the kid a lot of things yes i would preferably supplement his education not do his primary education i would hire teachers for that i don't think it's a viable use of time to start teaching a kid a b c d but i do think that the school curriculum here in india does not cover a lot of practical aspects of life and i would actually teach the kid that yes mm. you should just get your kid to build a business at age like 6 7 and he'll probably learn so much more making his first dollar than going to actual school i i agree with you but i also disagree with you i think that the learnings that happen in school and the learnings that happen in real life are different types of learning and you kind of need both i can see that i mean we're, we're talking about this now but let's say in 5 years the the woke virus has you know hit india as well oh man <laughs> now, oh man now it may my kids are going to go to religious school if that happens you know what in this school <laughs> yeah what i have noticed though harsh is that like you know as you're reading plutarch's thing um philosophers had so much respect at, at that era where in nowadays in our era if you say philosopher to a lot of people they just roll their eyes especially a lot of people like in the science community like the physics and stuff like if you if you're like a philosopher said this like ah oh, philosophers so, did you notice that like that uh, that like disgust towards philosophers in our generation it's like you know these people are pretentious as hell like uh... yeah these guys don't produce anything but it's like here's this was plutarch a philosopher what was he he was a historian and a philosopher oh, okay but primarily a historian gotcha like he's known for his histories but he did spend his life teaching philosophy yeah now i just noticed like in that era like if you quoted a philosopher you you're like you're really adding a lot of credibility to your argument or nowadays if you do that people are like ah oh, okay now show me which phys phys how do you say that word physicist like yeah the quote that stat so i just noticed like the difference in importance throughout the generations i would agree with that and th- i think that this this kind of comes to the fact that you know it's like you you can't quote a religious source anymore people don't take them seriously anymore so if you right. say the bible says this people will just ignore it right so i i think that philosophers are uh, people associate them with people think of them how they think of religion you know like yeah maybe there's some value there but it's mostly like esoteric nonsense right um are gurus still popular in india they are extremely popular in india yes no okay. god okay now he kind of tells us what pe- what children who are not raised properly what habits they get into and he says that when these badly raised kids who are neglected they grow up they they become disorderly and they give themselves into slavish pleasures the pleasures which are fit only for slaves 
And he kind of has a list of these pleasures. And these are, you know, hanging out with flatterers and parasites, abominable men of obscure origin, corruptors and spoilers, you know, buying courtesans and prostitutes, being proud and sumptuous in your expense, so spending a lot of money, then pleasures at the table, then the dice and revel, so gambling. And he says that some of these people even take on wilder forms of evil doing, like adultery or Bacchalanian routes, which essentially just means partying, drinking and partying. Mm-hmm. And they are ready to pay with their life for a single pleasure. And once the kids become this way, then their fathers, they regret not paying attention to their kids when they were younger and not raising them correctly. And now their regrets are meaningless because the kid has already grown up. So you should raise your kids correctly because after, if you fuck it up, if you don't raise them properly, then your regrets in the future will not, they won't do anything to you. Right. Then he says that, you know, wealth, reputation, strength, all of these things can be taken away, right? You lose strength as you age. Your reputation can go away with one scandal. Your wealth wealth, is, wealth changes hands all the time. Everything can be taken away from you except for knowledge. Mm-hmm. And here is an important point for the modern generation. And the reason why I brought up the whole gender thing in the beginning. He says that education must be sound and should be uncorrupted and that you should withdraw your sons from the nonsense of ostentatious public discourse for to please the multitude is to displease the wise. Mm. So accurate. He, it's so interesting that even this guy who's writing 2000 years ago was observing problems that we are still observing. And he's like, the education must be uncorrupted and sound. So that means that even in his time, there must be corrupted education and unsound education. And he's like, keep your sons as far away from the nonsense of ostentatious public discourse. So you can think of it as politics. So keep your sons as far away from all these political things. Right. I mean, that's what we were bringing up before, where we're like, there's like a new, like, argument that's happening all the time and it's like if you're dialed into that your mind is going to be so cluttered with different things that have been cherry-picked for you to be annoyed by so it's like if you really want to learn you gotta you shouldn't exclude any of that like you shouldn't just be like i care nothing about that at all because in some ways it can affect you but it's like avoid getting caught up in it where it is your life you see like some people like they make that their life they just like have opinions about all of this stuff. They never plan to do anything in the political space, but they just have opinions. And they think just having an opinion is them making a difference. They're bringing awareness to the issue. It's like, dude, you're not doing anything. It's like, you should be spending that time actually building something. And then like, if you have an opinion, it's more sound. But yeah, I mean, what Plutarch said, it's like, whenever you see a bunch of people talking about something, um, can you find truth in that? Possibly, but are you? I don't know about that. 
It happens with our side of Twitter. I actually saw a hilarious tweet from you recently. I can't find it. Do you remember like this tweet you wrote? It's like, find any of the people that tweeted like disappear for six months. And oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yes. Disappear for six months. Quotes on self-healing. Quotes on self-love. They're oh, all more. Like, can I read it out? Because I think it's yeah, sure. You can share a screen. Yeah. You can share a screen if you like. No, it's all. Good. Oh, can you see? I can see it. Yes. If you want to clean up your Twitter, do a search for the terms "disappear for six months," quotes on self-care, and unfollow everyone who tweeted it. Almost all of them are LARPing kids with zero life experience, copying and pasting each other. You don't want to be led by the blind. Expand, my friend. Just do a search for the term. You will see what I mean. Man, I don't want to put these guys on blast. So, uh, zoom in, zoom in. I can't read it. Zoom in. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to put these guys on blast. Though. It's fine. It's fine. These guys deserve to be on blast. They're all just copy-pasting each other. It's... It's essentially that they're all saying the same thing over right. and over again. Disappear for six months. Disappear for six months. I'm like, what am I going to do if I disappear? Like, I can do this. I can do what I can do disappearing without disappearing. Well, like, you don't need problem, to disappear. This is the problem with social media. Like, they incentivize you to just get platitudes. And the thing with platitudes is that a lot of people are going to like, retweet it. And they're just going to get more followers, more engagement and such. And people that are spitting real stuff, like nuanced stuff, there are groups of people that want to see it, but they're not being shown it to their newsfeed because these social medias are optimizing for these platitudes. And eventually these social medias lose what made them unique in the first place. Like people want to come and they want to have their mind blown with like insights. But it's like, it's really easy to get like rank number one on these Google pages and just blow up on social media posting platitudes. But it's like, you got to reward the people that are spitting truth. Otherwise, they're going to leave your platform and they're going to create like their own email list or even their own platform. So it's like, that's the thing that I don't like about Twitter. It's like, they really reward nonsense more and more as of late. I think a lot of these people who tweet like this, right, the platitude stuff, they're they're actual teenagers. I think I, I've kind of I spoke to one of them and he was an actual teenager. I mean, like an 18 year old or something who just started doing this and he just copy pasted other people's tweets and he got a lot of followers. And now that's this is what he does. And, he, you know, these guys don't have any real life experience. So they're essentially just forced to read, re-say what other people are saying. And now they form this clique where they all just retweet each other. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. So be careful of whom you take your advice from, right? If you lack life experience, and if, you, if you're taking advice from someone who lacks life experience, it is literally the blind leading the blind. Like you're not getting anything useful from this guy. That's where long form content often helps weed out certain people, like the pretenders from like people that actually know certain stuff. Because uh, let's say Harsh Strongman was like one of these, like in reality, he's an actual teenager. And they yeah. got 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 12 years old. Um, and then I'm like, hey, Harsh, let's do a podcast together. If you're really faking it, you can't speak to me or anyone for that matter about in depth topics for even 30 minutes, let alone an hour. So I noticed with long form content, 
it helps weed out a lot of these pretenders. A hundred percent. If you do not know what you're talking about, you can't talk about it for five minutes or more. And try doing it. In fact, anyone who's listening to it, take a topic that you think you know about, but you don't actually know about, and just give an impromptu speech on it. And you will start stuttering immediately. You will not be able to do a free-form conversation if you lack experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you if you if you don't know anything about something, unless you have politician-level skills, you can't really talk about it. That reminded me of a scene from the forty-year-old version. <laughs> There's like this guy who he's forty years old and he never got laid before, and one day he's chilling with a few of his coworkers. They're all talking about girls. And the 40-year-old virgin, like, he's trying to contribute something. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, a boob. It feels so good. Right, guys? They're like, what kind of guy just says something like that? It's just so weird. And they're like, hey, uh, hey, what does a boob feel like to the 40-year-old virgin? He's like, oh, it feels like um, like a sandbag. <laughs> and it was hilarious, bro. Everyone in the movie theater just busted out laughing. And it's like, you're over here. I'm trying to pretend and it's like you can't even think of the right descriptions and um that's when the entire movie like really begins but it just reminded me of that particular scene it's like oh you could, man yeah you could often see who's like lying about something based off of like questions that you ask them and sometimes the questions are unfair like these are known as baits but other times you'll ask the question in a certain way where it's a reasonable question and anyone with experience should be able to answer it they're over here like, oh, it's like now they're telling on themselves. That's that's a very good point. I, I 100% get you there. In fact, I remember this one situation where I had hired a consultant for something. This was for a tax thing that I did not know about. And I'm asking him and he's giving me very superficial answers. So I give him a scenario like what would be the right thing to do? And he's like, oh. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> like you need to refund me right now <laughs> man have you ever been kind of in a position like that not that often i've had that situation but i've always been transparent to people for if they're hiring me that i haven't done this before but i can figure it out and get it done for you for example there was this guy who had a very complicated situation who needed a passport and this was you know back when i was very young like maybe 17 or 16 years old Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll get the, I'll get it done for you. I'll I have never gotten a passport for anyone else, but th- this was back when they had come out with a new system in India where you could fill out a form and it would automatically schedule an appointment, and they would have to go and give an interview and they would get a passport. Right. So I I was essentially just filling out that form for her and I was telling her that this is what I'm going to do, and now she's asking me all these complicated questions like, okay, so what are they going to ask me in the interview? And I'm like. Uh, I, I don't really know, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I, I don't know. But I, I just know how to fill the form up. I'll get you the interview and you can take it from there. Right. But I haven't been stuck in a position where I said, I know something, but then I don't know anything about it. Yeah, no, that's actually a difficult position. But it can happen even if you didn't mean for it to happen. Or let's say you're trying to get a job interview and you get a job interview for let's say a software engineer, but you're an electrical engineer. And in their resume, they say that they will take in electrical engineers as um, as people that they want to interview. And then you actually show up. And as you show up, they want you to write a piece of code. And you may be asking like, how do you know about a situation like this? 
<laughs> it's because it happened to me. And it's like, I didn't lie. I was just like, well, you said an electrical engineer can't apply. And it's like with coding, give me some time, I'll figure it out. This was like my first ever like interview ever. And these guys are over here trying to get me to like write a piece of code right in front of them. And I'm just like, man, what the heck? Like, like this isn't even how people who write code write code. Like they're trying it out, it fails, they try it out, it fails. They don't just know the code that they're gonna write in front of them. So it just became like this, like this interrogation session. And I could see how people who don't mean any harm can find themselves in that position. And now it's one of those situations where it's like, is this a person who can actually get the information and figure it out? Or is this person just trying to pull a fast one on me? And as a business owner, you actually have to decide that on a split decision a lot of times. Like sometimes you'll like make a job posting for building a website and someone will come to you and they'll be like, I could build a website. I went, I got my master's degree in web design. And I'm like, have you ever built a website? Like, uh, well, uh, you know, and now they're doing the whole uh, 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 trick. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, this guy has oh, a degree, my. but he doesn't know how oh, to build my. it. Uh, is he going to be one of those people who figure it out? Or is he just a book smart guy but lacks experience? You have to like, it's a judgment call on you at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I can, I can see how people are innocently placed in these situations. Yes. Yeah, man. Mm. It's a, or it could be like super innocent too. Like let's say you're talking to a girl and she's over here telling you like the story about her day and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And Harsh is over here daydreaming about his business. <laughs> like, you are paying attention to me, right? Like, uh, uh, okay, that uh, has uh. happened to me a couple of times. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, what did I say? And you just and you ask like this filler question, like, oh, how's your day going, hon? <laughs> <laughs> like, we're connecting it back to the beginning of the episode. Um, oh man, that has happened to me two, three times now. Where I'm driving and there's a girl in the car and she's speaking, and I'm paying attention to my driving and I've zoned it out. Yeah, and like after a few minutes, she's like, "Okay, you know, she's asked me a question, and now you know she's expecting a response." And then I suddenly look at her, and then I'm like, "Okay, so she, I've been asked a question, and I don't know what I've been asked." <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get yourself out of that? I don't remember. I was like, "I, I didn't hear you. Can you repeat yourself?" Mm. I, I I don't do any suave moves usually, right? I'm like, "Okay, I I, I wasn't paying attention. See everything you said again." right and then she'd be like you weren't listening and i and i would say something like you weren't loud enough mm. <laughs> like a, like a joke you know like it's your fault <laughs> a remix of the situation is when you're talking to someone and they're like really into it and you forgot their name it's like man how do i get this guy's name from him and he's over here using your name perfectly like arman my friend it's like it's like man how do i get this guy's name <laughs> it's like there's there's ways to go about it like you could like give them your phone like oh put your number like, spell so. your name <laughs> yeah yeah what does your name rhyme with that's like you could weasel it out of them but yeah i mean sometimes people are put in these situations where they look like the bad guy but it's like they're not really a bad guy they're just um they're just put in a bad situation Man, have you ever been, have you ever said something that you can do this, but you can't do it? Mm, I would say that I can't do it. Yeah, if you claim that you could do something, but you couldn't actually do it. 
like was I still given the opportunity to figure it out or is it like if you can't do it then get out of my face no you're like you're like embarrassed that you can't do it now like kind of like gives you public embarrassment I'm pretty sure there are moments like that in my life it's like I got to think about it but I- I'm pretty sure that was the case I remember so, this happened to me many years ago in the boxing gym where mm-hmm. um you know I was supposed to spar with this guy who was really really good like this guy is like a champion right and I'm a newbie I've had like five classes and this guy is like hey harsh come spar with me and my you know the coach is like don't spar with him I'm like I'll be I'll be able to do it it's fine you know I just learn how to do this jab and this punch and this uppercut and mm-hmm. we'll be fine and the coach looks at me and he's like okay <laughs> like he's smiling he's like this guy's going to learn a lesson today right <laughs> so i got my ass beat not exactly my ass beat but i get punched a lot and then yeah. i come down and my coach is like so how did it go i should have listened to you <laughs> so you got him beaten up before not beaten up right like but like in a sparring session yeah you don't, get, you don't get like hit like it doesn't hurt Right. But you still lose, right? You're mostly protecting your face and getting like the feeling of being punched in your stomach and everywhere else. Oh yeah. So it looks easy from the outside, but once you go through it, it's like, oh, man. Yeah, but yeah, that's a situation where I thought I'd be able to do something, but I could not. Right. I was fairly confident about it too. I was like, ah, I got it, you know, I got all the punches. And no one can stop me now. You're right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like we all go through moments like that and some people will just lie about it. They'll be like, "No, no, no, I've never been in a moment like that." It's like we do because that's how the whole process of getting humbled works. Like what what does it really mean to get humbled? It's like you think nothing like this is going to happen to you and then it happens to you. That's you getting humbled. So it happens a lot, bro, like just in to people in different contexts where sometimes you'll see this guy who's very proud everything is going well in his life and he'll just be like that can never happen to me and let's say the only night in a long time that he messes up he ends up like drinking driving he acts like a fool and he ends up going viral it's like you are now getting humbled so that's the thing with the perspective it's like anyone that's like oh i've never been in a position where you know i got checked it's like they're clearly lying to you or they're just not capable of remembering it sort of like i'm incapable right now um but yeah i mean i would say similar things happened like of what you just said where you're thinking like you could fight someone or spar someone and then they just like it's not even close like it, they just obliterate you so you were mentioning like were there any more points of plutarch that you wanted to bring up that we're not even halfway through this article so do you want me to keep talking about it or do you want to talk about something else i mean like were there any other points that like really stuck out and you're like well i, I got to bring that up one sec let me flip the pages but speaking of the whole like copying and pasting thing did you ever get like one of your most popular tweets and then like just plug it in and see how many people copied and pasted it I have not done that. No. You should try that, man. Like you'll be shocked. Like a lot of people do that. And sometimes what they do is they'll get your tweets and they'll post it on a different platform. They'll post it on Facebook or Instagram. 
Oh yeah, that happened to me. There was this guy who had eight hundred thousand Instagram followers, mm-hmm. and he'd copied my, you know, the live intentionally program and some of my tweets. And of course, I got his Instagram post taken down. I literally run a company which does piracy protection. By right. the way, if someone has a course or something and they're looking for piracy protection for their course, if their course is being pirated on the net for free, go to copyrightsamurai.com and fill up the form, and our team will contact you. Copyrightsamurai.com. Okay. Good stuff, man. That's a pretty good service. How's that going? It's going well. It's going well. It's the economy is not so good, but it's still keeping okay. So I'm happy with it. Good. Okay, one sec. So yeah, he makes a lot of points about why philosophy is the most important branch of knowledge, which I doubt modern people would agree with. Oh, he makes an interest. I have not studied that much philosophy, but I do think it is the most important because it literally tells you how you should behave and what the right action is. So it supersedes everything else. I would say it's in my top five, but I'm biased. I I think engineering is the most important because I think the better engineer that you are, the more that you're capable of problem solving and the more that you're capable of seeing the right philosophy that's suitable for your life versus like, because everyone nowadays is creating these philosophies. And it's like, if you don't have real world experience and practical solutions that you can ground yourself in, everyone's philosophy seems smart. So, but philosophy hands down is in top five. Yeah, like even though earlier we were talking about a lot of people disrespect it in our generation, I can't disrespect it, man. I agree with you there. I think I think you have a fair point. Engineering might be more valuable than philosophy, probably. I saw but I can tell you that, I can tell you one thing that you can have the knowledge of engineering in a society that has knowledge of philosophy but you can't have the knowledge of you can't have engineering without philosophy the philosophy comes first if you see the development of these things i could see a case for that like if i could plug up philosophy for science where naval like you follow naval's account i do so naval says like from like me being exposed to his work, I believe he thinks the most important topic is science. It's like head and shoulders above everything else because it informs everything. And I think you have that perspective regarding philosophy where I have that perspective regarding engineering. And I think all of these are fair points. I I would say like these are definitely in the top tiers if you're trying to build some sort of society because it exercises the intellect and it exercises the limbs where now you're capable of actually fixing things. From my experience though, like normally like studying history, like we got the fire first and then we found out how it worked later on. So it's like, from what I've noticed, engineering typically leads and then we validate with philosophy and science. I view philosophy and science in a similar boat really, where engineering, this is my particular worldview. I don't don't think everyone should have that, but I definitely see your case for philosophy leading the way i that's a very good point that's a very good point in fact what you said actually that's kind of how we learned a lot of our physics Mm -hmm. where we invented the motor and then we studied the motor to learn about physics so we made the motor first and then we're like why is it behaving like how it's behaving right and then in that to understand the motor we developed we learned more about physics so electromagnetism and things of that sort 
Yeah. So yeah, you you have a very valid point about the fire coming first. So the next thing Clutak talks about is that children should receive strength training, but mm. he makes a caveat that the strength training should not be so harsh that it makes them drained and tired and not able to focus on other studies. And here's an interesting point. Okay, here this isn't exactly related to children, but he says that. Just because I am anxious to say that which is of a greater importance than all the rest, it is for conquests of war that boys must be practiced, and by exercising themselves in throwing the javelin, shooting the bow, and in hunting, for the goods of the vanquished in battle are prizes offered to the victors. War has no place for a bodily condition produced by an indoor life, and a slenderly built soldier. accustomed to military exercises forces his way through the masses of fleshy athletes so plutarch is for you know training yourself like an mma fighter and not like a bodybuilder mhm because he's like a guy who's been trained as a warrior will go through an army of people who are athletes fleshy athletes mm That's an interesting point. I don't agree yeah, with Plutarch is. there. In the modern world, we have guns. We don't fight with swords and javelins, so it doesn't really help to be slender. But it's a, it's an interesting point because in his time, people are being trained to fight in wars. I actually do agree with this point. I believe if you're going to build some sort of physique, it should be the fighter's physique over a bodybuilding physique. I could see the case for bodybuilding, but like you should be making money with that. I think if you're just a regular guy. You should be leaning towards more of the fighting physique, because it's just, from my experience, more practical. But, the thing with fry fighting physique is that you end up being so lean that when you wear a shirt, you look like a skinny guy. Like if you take Conor McGregor, like the guy who's supposed to be an extremely good fighter, mm-hmm. the guy is so small that if he wears a shirt, he won't really, he won't stand out. Well, that's because he's like he's really short, but it's like. Have you seen him now? He's he's pretty big now, but I, I I'm pretty sure you're talking about like when he was lightweight. Yeah, when he was like thin, right? When he was like actually fighting. I don't know if he's fighting now or not. But all these body, all these like fighter type people, right? They're very lean and slender, and I don't think you would recognize them as you know jacked if they are wearing a shirt. Who cares if they recognize you as jacked? But that's the whole point of building a body for most men, right? Most guys are like they want to look good to girls and impressive to their friends. They don't want to just be able to fight. I think the catch twenty one is that the Conor McGregor's body type, like he doesn't look like so small to a point. He's like frail. He has a nice posture, nice biceps. Like he looks like in in shape. The catch twenty one is girls prefer that, from my experience, versus these like big bulky guys that like fill up a shirt. When you fill up a shirt, ironically, you get a lot of props from guys, but not girls. That's after a certain size, yes. But I do believe that being slightly bigger, much bigger than Conor McGregor in weight, it does help with women. At least What about in my Phelps? Let me have a look. What's the name? M I C H A E L. Yeah, then Phelps. P H E L P S. Wait, let me open this and share screen so everybody can see what I'm seeing, and it's not like I'm talking about something we have no common ground on. Or when so... you're posting up pictures of like shirtless dudes. 
<laughs> so I mean, like you know, attracting more <laughs> female followers. Was <laughs> <laughs> was these two talking about? There was a girl who left us a comment like, "Your your podcast is just a ballsy conversation, a random ballsy conversation." I'm like, "Yeah, that's what it is." Okay, yeah. I'm gonna search for Michael. Um, Okay, I'm going to have to search for Michael Phelps. Yeah, this guy looks like a regular, regular dude, right? Like when he's wearing clothes. Yeah, actually, yeah, the, those clothes, I guess. I, I see where you're coming from. What about uh, like Rithik Roshan? Do you know that guy? Yeah, yeah, I know him. I know this guy. What about a physique like that? Yeah, this guy looks good. I do believe that he could be slightly uh, bigger. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of biased in, you know, in size. I do see where exactly where you're coming from because he, like, they had the IFA Awards in Tampa a few years back, and actually met him. Um, or I was like right past him on the green carpet, and. You know, when you're watching him on movies, you're like, man, this is a big guy right here. And when I saw him in person, I'm like, wait a minute. We're almost like going mano y mano. Like I'm the same size as him almost. Um, like he's not that big in real life versus the Yeah, he, he kind of looks like a regular dude, man. It doesn't yeah, so you, really look that jack. I see where you're coming from. So, yeah. It's a jack guy wearing a shirt. See, this is something what I mean by, you know, being a bit bigger, where you can tell this guy is big, even when he's wearing a shirt. For sure. Not this. This looks like a regular guy. I bet this guy is, you know, shredded or something, whatever. But it doesn't show up when you're clothed. And 99% of the time, you are wearing clothes. So it makes sense to have some fat, but still be big. Wait, go to that guy that you have right now. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So the problem with this guy's body, I could actually just say it. He has no shoulders. And it's like, if you're a guy with big shoulders, automatically, mm. aesthetically speaking, like you have somewhat of a good physique perception-wise. Because in addition to the big shoulders, another thing he doesn't have, like I could tell by looking at him that he doesn't have a good back. Like you need like that nice V-shape. And like, look at this guy, Harsh. Does he look like he has a nice V-shape? He does not, no. Yeah, and, and it's like you need some biceps. Like he doesn't have that either. So he's missing what I call the holy trinity. Shoulders, lats, and biceps for the top. By the way, guys, a lot of these pictures which are showing up like this, like this, these are all steroidal pictures. They're not something achievable. So don't get yourself in the thinking that you can look like this by training. You can't. That requires steroids. Here, pull up a picture of John Abraham. I, I, I think that's like the middle ground of what me and you are both talking about. John Abraham. Oh, I've heard of this guy. I, I think I've met him. I'm so not he, sure. He used to be really skinny, but nowadays he like he's worked out. No, no, no that's his yeah. No, see this guy, right? This guy yeah. looks good. Like this is a guy you can tell he lifts even when he's wearing a shirt. Okay, I, I see where you're coming from. So yeah, that's my thing on like being a fighter physique guy. It is that you're going to wear a shirt and then people are going to think you're skinny. And 
just admit it, 99% of guys, you know, they're not lifting to become fighters or to become exponentially strong or something. They just want to look good to women and get compliments and to have good health, of course. Mm-hmm. Then I'll just finish up, you know, some more points from this essay. He says that you shouldn't beat your kids. You should instead use praise and rebuke to guide their behavior because he says that beatings are only fit for slaves. But you should not praise them excessively because it spoils kids. And you shouldn't overburden your kids. So you shouldn't put the kid, you you shouldn't overburden your kids with too many classes, too many difficult things to do because the kid might not be able to do them and it's just going to take all of their confidence away. So even nowadays, right, you find parents sending their kids to 10 different classes. So, you know, the kid excels in everything. But at the end of the day, you end up with a very uh, suppressed kid who is who lacks confidence, essentially. Right. So give the kid breathing space from continued tasks. Mm. Yeah, and would then he's say, like, you need... Go ahead. You, well, would you say you disagree with the feeding part? Because you said, like, that builds character, right? In one of our past it's episodes. It's a cultural thing, right? It's a cultural thing. In his time, you know it was not a good thing to beat kids maybe, or he disagreed with it. Personally, mm-hmm. I think that there are things where you should beat your kids for. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I'm more of the spoil the rod, spoil the type, spoil the child type of person. Okay, I see. Spare the rod, spoil the child. You got the belt in handy? Not belt, man. That's over here. Like, it's not what kids Slap. Man, when you say rod, I'm thinking like a rod belt, same thing. <laughs> you slap. I mean, like, what are we talking? To, you you don't need to. In, you know, so to associate a negative feeling with an action they did, you don't need to hit them too hard, right? You just need to cause them some pain. It could just be like a pinch or pulling their ear or something like that. It doesn't have to be like, come on here, ram, 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 ram. Like you don't need to do that. Mm, maybe hit their hand with a a wooden spoon. Something? something that causes sharp pain and registers in their brain and you know associates that negative feeling of pain with the action they did. So maybe they insulted an adult for no reason, then you kind of like hit them, you pull their ears, and now they associate pain with that action and they won't do it again. And sometimes the opposite happens where when you get hit, like you sometimes do it more. Like I, I can't speak on other people, but like I remember one time, like there was this guy that was supposed to teach me how to read the Quran. And this is when I was living in Bangladesh and I was being so rude to him. Like my brother was paying attention and I just kept making fun of the guy. And he was like this older man. And he just like, like slapped me, like beat me up. And then my parents yelled at that guy. It's like, well, what are you doing? Why would you hit our kid for? And like, he was like this elderly man. So I was like, oh man, you're going to hit me. I'll, I'll even be worse next time. I'll see if you'll hit me again. So it's like sometimes it works, but sometimes it makes the bad kids even worse. Oh man, that's interesting. Did you I get do hit think by that... like a not non-parent? Like, did you? Oh, man, I would get hit by kids by teachers a lot. I was I was not a bright student as a kid. I didn't know much English, so I would get hit by teachers. I get slapped by teachers, hit by whistles, hit by that stitch thing. Oh, that yeah, like they have a whistle. Yeah, that hurts a lot. Yeah. Did you cry or were you like, did you just absorb the pain? I don't remember. I think I probably did cry when I was a, you know, a pre-primary kid, 
but I don't think I cried when I was in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I mean, you cry at that age and you're the laughing stock of the village. So. <laughs> oh yeah. But did you adjust or were you just as bad? I adjusted. Okay. Okay. So I guess I'm out of the norm on this one. Yeah. Seems like it. I mean, if you were the norm, then they wouldn't be hitting the kids anymore. Yeah. Like some kids will like the first time they get, like, because I used to get hit when I lived in Bangladesh, like, from the teachers. It wasn't anything severe, but, like, they'd, like, hit you with a ruler or, like, slap you on the face or make you do, like, sit-ups. And it's, like, some kids, like, they were shocked. They're, like, I've never been hit before. This is never going to happen to me again. But other kids were, like, man, this doesn't actually hurt. Like, uh, do it again. It's like, you're telling me I could be bad and I just get like a little tap on the, <laughs> like the ruler, with the ruler. That's not even bad, man. And it's like, my palms are strengthening up too. So it actually feels somewhat good when I get hit with the ruler. And it creates some of these like, you know, some of these kids oh, that are, man. we call it dushto. You know what dushto means? Like naughty. Yeah, it means bad, evil. It means evil, dust, even, evil. Yeah. They were like, Arma, do we have to dush to each other? I was like, and don't you forget, lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Like, come here, bitch. Your ruler, your ruler has the power over me. <laughs> she got slick after a while because once, like, you hit someone on the ruler a bunch of times, it's like lifting weights without the gloves on. Eventually, your skin toughens. So one day, like, she's hitting me on the hand with the ruler. It's just, like, bouncing off. I'm like, ah, wow, it's hurting so much. <laughs> and she knew I was, like, a line. So she got slick with it. You could tell she did her homework. She came back. I got in trouble. Now she got the the, the metal part of the ruler, harsh. And she mm -hmm. began rubbing it on the sole of her feet. And it's heating it up. And then she put it on my skin. That's when I felt, like, a burn. I was like, okay, okay, lady, this hurts. Chill out with that. Man, if that left a mark, I bet your parents would have killed her. I don't know if like, the parents knew that the teachers hit. I'm pretty sure they were, oh, no, no, I don't think some of them were even aware. But it wasn't a big deal. Like, it, it was like, some of it seemed like a joke, especially when you're a little kid. But some of the kids, harsh, like they got really scared. They were just like, oh my goodness, I've never been slapped on the face like that. By a person of authority i'll never misbehave again and throughout our time in class they didn't get in trouble again mm, so it is effective on some people some kids man, and that's where it really comes down to like who are you dealing with mm. some kids like if they get slapped bro like they remember it for a long time like it, it like remember what we were saying like up until age seven like you're very impressionable so mm -hmm. like a lot of these kids like when they grow up instead of talking things out in disagreements they'll just put hands on someone so it really depends who you're dealing with that makes sense man that's insane yeah yeah but you are right about that i think china is kind of exploiting that for adults where it's kind of like using different baits to control all sorts of people right so if you behave well you get rewarded and if you behave improperly you get punished Mm -hmm. so the people who respond to reward behave well for the reward, for the social credit, for the credit points or whatever. And the people who behave, you know, well, because they're afraid of punishment, well, we have punishments. Right. So, so what else does Plutarch have? Anything else that well, sticks out? 
one of the points he says that you should monitor the growth of your child every few days to keep the servants and his you know the the teachers and everybody accountable because if you don't pay attention to how your kid is growing then these guys will become lazy and he has a very good quote at the end he says that nothing makes a horse so fat as the king's eye hmm so if the caretaker knows that the king is watching this horse he's going to give him more food so the horse doesn't get sick or anything and the horse is going to keep getting fatter and fatter so just having the king's attention makes the horse fatter so if you're going if you're paying attention to your kid's growth right the, the teacher knows that he can't slack off right so that is something that's important mm-hmm. the next thing he says is that the memory of children should be trained because that's where all the knowledge is being stored So if a kid has good memory it should be made better by training and if a kid has bad memory it should be made good enough by training and here is something which in today's world would be a little controversial but it says that you should keep your kid away from bad foul language because a language is a shadow of action so people who use foul language have foul actions mm. and of course to teach the kid to be tactful and to learn when it is right to lose an argument because people hate tactless people even when they're right and sometimes when you win an argument you're actually the biggest loser you get you know the ferric victory the cadmian victory where you win but you've lost a relationship absolutely man sometimes you just need to let someone win the argument because it means a lot more to them and it's like you could see it in the change in their mannerisms where you're just thinking you're over here challenging the person's idea but this person is getting like out of it they're breathing heavily they're like sweating a little and you're like hey, you know what i i see your point and then you just end it so in many ways that's a win um it depends on the circumstance though but i do agree with you where sometimes you think you won the argument but you really didn't the next thing he says is that you should teach your kid to know when to be silent For example, there are people who just say random things whatever comes in their head in serious situations and it causes them a lot of misfortune. And he kind of has a lot of stories of, you know, people having misfortune because, you know, they said something stupid. For example, there was a king who was marrying his own niece and one of the people in the court kind of said that you should not spur that mare. And that guy spent many years in jail for saying that. So just for making a joke and for to make people laugh for one minute this guy rotted in jail for many years and there are a lot of these stories a lot like there was a king who's you know one eye blind and some guy makes a joke about him being blind and he's put to death mm. and things of that sort so you should know when you should not speak and right. when you should not mock somebody and you should not just repeat what comes in your mind and uh, nowadays this is less relevant right the amount of violence in, in society is much lower than it used to be but it is still a good thing to keep in mind i think it is important for kids to learn especially nowadays right mm-hmm. then he kind of talks about you know should you keep the boys admirers around not so important so i won't get into that here then Yeah he's like the faults of kids should be corrected because otherwise they become hardened and much harder to correct much later. So it's much easier to teach good values to a young kid than you know to teach them to an older kid. Mm-hmm. 
And here's something interesting. He says that you need to be the example. You can't just tell the kid, go do this, and then yourself do something else. So you need to yourself follow good values and set a good example because kids kind of copy you and they don't just listen to you. So if you're a drunkard, the kid is also going to start drinking, whether or not you tell him that drinking is bad or good. Mm-hmm. So you are the one who should have good values and you need to show the kid that you have good values. Right. Be a good influence. Yeah. Be a good influence. And then he quotes Pythagoras a lot where this is advice for all men, I would say, not just for kids. But, you know, don't spend your time with men of bad character. Avoid idleness. And here is the one I found the most important. Do not wear a tight ring. Do you know what that means? A what? Do not wear a tight ring. I don't know what that is. So it essentially means that you should live your life unhampered and not subjected to too many bonds. Oh, tight ring? A tight ring, yes. Oh, I think it's a tight tree. Um, oh, okay, okay. So you're saying, like, keep loose bonds? Yeah, he says that don't, don't have too many bonds and you should live your life unhampered. And I, th- I can give you modern examples of, you know, this mistake where people will take a house loan, a car loan, and they have a job in that place. And now they're fucked, right? Now they're essentially working that job, essentially slaving away for someone else and only to pay a car loan, a housing loan and things like that. So they work for the bank in reality. Like Their life is spent paying off a bank. Mm. Then there's one more important one. Do not eat your heart, which means do not injure your soul by wasting it on worries. Mm, makes sense using your imagination to worry is like using an ipad as a coaster (laughs) it's a good one yeah Mm, yeah okay the other one is that you should deal with your kids patiently if they make a mistake you shouldn't get too angry on them you shouldn't get sullen and stop talking to them because at the end of the day they are still children and they are your children and you need to show them that you can be, you can, they can come and talk to you and you can talk with them and you shouldn't become, you shouldn't be too short tempered. So they kind of avoid speaking with you at all. And you see this a lot, like a lot of people I know, especially when we were young, right? They wouldn't tell their parents if they made a, made a mistake because they were like, my parents are going to scream at me. Mm. And I, like, I might as well just not tell them. So I know this one person like who lost something very important, who like they, they lost like a lot of money in trading stocks and they just didn't, didn't tell their family. They didn't tell the, their father and mother because he's like, they're just going to scream at me. It's not, they're not going to bring the money back. I'll just get a big screaming match. My mom and dad are going to yell at me and it's, I might as well not tell them. And you hear this a lot nowadays. So you, it's important for you as a parent to... Keep it such that your children can come and have a conversation with you about the mistakes they made or something they want to talk about. If you are just someone who just likes to yell and scream and go crazy, then they will learn to keep things away from you. Oh, yeah. Um, The yelling part, I definitely see a case for. The remix to that is worrying a lot, too. Or like when you're worrying a lot, like it could be something small, but the kids like, let me not tell my parents because they're going to worry a lot about it. Uh, I have noticed that as well. 
Yeah, that's a that's a thing. I remember I got in a I got in a car accident once. Um, Recently, and I had a friend. No, this was many years ago. This was maybe when I was eighteen years old. Mm-hmm. And I had a coworker in the car with me, in the thing with me, and we kind of got hit. It wasn't a car. We were in a rickshaw, and a truck kind of hit it from the behind. And he didn't tell his family that he was in this accident because he's like, they're just gonna keep worrying about me then. Mm-hmm. So once it, he's like, once this gets into my mom's head that I can get in a car accident, anytime I'm on the road, she's gonna keep spend her time worrying. So it's better she just does not hear about this thing. Right. So you are right about that also. Well, as how, how do you resolve? How do you resolve something like that? Because with the with the angry part, like you could just calm down more. But the worrying part, what's your advice to parents for that? meditate more you know your brain lacks stability right so you need to meditate and get used to having stability in your head too much worrying is a sign of mental instability your brain is not stable enough to process a thought so it's essentially replaying the same thought over and over and over again in your head mm. if you meditate that is going to go away right then yeah, i think these are the biggest um takeaways that i had from plutarch's essay of course this essay is very long it's 40 pages long so there are much more in here i would recommend parents read it one thing that i would also add that he also suggested is to not be too harsh on your kids in the sense that you got to remember that at the end of the day they are still kids and they might have some shortcomings that you might have to accept just like you accept the shortcomings in your friends family etc your kids might also have some and you shouldn't be so harsh on them and you need to know when to be easy going and when not to be easy going sometimes you should let a mistake that the kid make go sometimes you should correct it politely sometimes you need to scream and be you know harsh so you got to know what to do when and you got to know when to just take it easy because you yourself were a kid and I mean it's it's a kid you're dealing with a kid you can't be too too harsh that was your main takeaway the ultimate takeaway it is not my ultimate takeaway it's another takeaway from the series another takeaway yeah interesting man i'm definitely going to revisit this one i have kids down the line as well um these are one of the topics i don't feel comfortable giving too much insights or advice because we don't on. have kids right we don't have kids and it's like you'll be surprised but a lot of people that don't have kids give a lot of advice to people with kids in in sometimes the wrong tone where my barber like i have him on instagram and he had this long rant about how people are like keep telling him what to like do with his kids and he the theme of the rant was just like if you don't have kids don't tell me what to do with mine and it's just like because i'm pretty sure like once you have kids like your perspective changes in a lot of ways so it's like i don't feel like at this stage of my life like even suitable because i don't really know what is going on with actual parents so it's good to see a guy like plutarch who had what like three kids himself like instilling his insights into this long essay Yeah so like i mentioned these are plutarch's uh, lessons not just mine and oh, no 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 i mean i i think like it's definitely good to like break it down to you see what i'm saying yeah but i know what you're saying even that's that's a big reason why i don't give advice on raising kids that often i never do actually i don't think i have 
And that's simply because, you know, I don't have kids, but I would like to give them advice once I have the kids and I actually know what I'm talking about in that respect. Yeah, it's like an advice, like where someone doesn't run a business and then they're like just constantly telling you what to do with your business. It's like, if you saw like all the moving variables, then you may understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And at times, even if they don't have a business, they'll give you a lot of good advice. It's just knowing like when. It's, um, that's like a big um, like debate in the athletics world where a lot of these journalists that cover the, the sport, <laughs> they've never played in their life. So they're like, this guy just lacks heart. And they're just like getting like these complex issues and simplifying it so much. So a lot of these like athletes are like, you shouldn't be allowed to cover a sport until like you at least played it. And I don't fully agree with that. I, I do think you could like give a lot of critical insights without actually having done it yourself. But I think it helps your case if you have done it. You see what I'm saying? I agree with you there. I agree with you there, man. Definitely. I mean, there are certain glaring errors which are obvious to everybody, even the people who are outside the sport. But if, you know, if you're a journalist and you've never played the sport and you're giving technical advice, right, you know, this person should not be doing squats. He should be doing deadlifts. Dude, you haven't haven't played. The way that they do it is they often question your integrity. So, like, let's say a player is, like, looking a little lazy. They'll be like, this person just lacks heart. They don't want it bad enough. Like, this person will never have a legacy. And it's just like, dang, man, like, you're over here, like... (laughs) You seem to know a lot about this guy. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, these journalists are kids. And not only are they kids, they're like malicious kids. Where all they do is these ad hominem remarks and they just lack any sense of proportion. And they just want to get clicks. So yeah, I think I believe them to be scum of the earth, lower than rapists, terrorists, and people of that sort. Whoa. You have that low of a view of them? Yes. There's a very good book I would recommend to everybody listening. It's called The Journalist and the Murderer. <laughs> it's a very funny story, but it's it's a good book. I highly recommend it. Is it a new book or is it an older book? It's an old book. Okay. I'll check it out. The Journalist and the Murderer. Can you give a quick synopsis of what it's about? Or you don't want to spoil it? I don't want to spoil it, but it's a fun read. You can read it in like a day. Okay, I'll check it out. So if you guys ever have any questions, uh, be sure to post it. And sometimes YouTube is a little weird where like a comment like disappears from my end and I'll see it in the help for review section. So I got a few of the comments that were uh, presented, some that were held for review. So let me go ahead and begin it. So the first one is from Uma Mitun. My homie, Uma, I know you. She's cool. Yes, I agree with you, Armani. Being a doctor is stressful. They don't get the same degree of respect they received a decade back. The lure of medical field is not that high, as you mentioned, that it is tedious and prolonged. There have been cases where doctors have been manhandled by relatives, patients, and law is not that protective. Many of the medical students go into management field. They do MBA. So, man, like this. I'm assuming this is something that's happening over at your place too, Harsh, where like, do you see doctors leaving the field or do you see a lot of them still, is it still coveted? I don't know. (laughs) I'm not well informed about this whole medical profession. 
every once in a while you do hear some news of you know the, the patient dying and the family beating the doctor up mm-hmm. but it's not common it's rare i i'm not well aware about this field to be honest so i would not comment on it okay uh, the next one is from punet get ready because this is a big one for you hey punet what's up mm-hmm. punet. um want your opinion uh, want your opinion on building personal brand versus anon or niche account on twitter or other social media my long term goal is to network with people and connect like how you two started a podcast because you knew each other I have multiple interests like tech, marketing, self-improvement, similar to Harsh. Currently doing freelancing and SEO, web design to generate leads for businesses and would like to turn this uh, into online business by selling courses and services. So what's a good option to build a business and not limit myself to a niche? I want to understand how you'd approach this while knowing what you know now. That's the first question. Okay, can you I I got his question. I just I'm just missing some parts because there were so many parts in it. Can you like share your screen or something so I can see what I'm going to answer? Okay, got the question in text. Okay, so uh, uh, the first question is my opinion on building a personal brand versus an an anonymous account. And I would recommend being anonymous in the beginning at least because you know, you can always go from anonymous to non-anonymous, but you can't go in reverse. and also the fact it depends on your content right if your content is mostly family friendly then you can build a personal brand safely but if your content is even slightly controversial or going towards being controversial then you know if you're not known if you're a personal brand then it's it's a hassle right you it, you become unemployable there are people who will not want to associate with you anymore and you know people will run run start asking you like do you really think that and you know you have to then explain yourself to people and in places where you don't really want to do have to do that so it's a pros and cons type of thing when you are a personal brand you are trusted more people are more likely to purchase from you but then you also have to deal with those people right you have to deal with idiots and being surrounded by morons and you have to deal with you know mobs on social media ruining your reputation and things like that so It's a pros and cons thing. I would say, as a default option, go with a non, and you can always move to non and non when you're sure that that's what you want to do. Your long-term goal is to network with people. Yeah, you can do that anonymously. I've networked with lots of people anonymously, and I know a lot of other non's who've done that. As long as you can show competence and knowledge, you're fine. I have multiple interests in tech, marketing, self-improvement. currently doing freelancing in seo web design to generate leads for business and turn this into an online business by selling a course and services so if you're already doing freelancing in seo web design then keep doing that right <laughs> i don't really think you should make a course and teach other people how to do it i mean that's left for experts but if you are expert level then you can definitely make a course and start marketing it you need to build an audience first So I would say your next option is to build an audience because if you don't have an audience, then it's going to be really hard to sell any course. Where do you think so, he should build an audience? He should build an audience in whatever thing he wants to produce a course on. So if he wants to make a course about SEO, then he needs to make an SEO focused account. I think in his case, right, I would actually recommend doing the bowtie thing. So come up with a bowtie animal and start a Substack. What's that? 
or is that just common knowledge? I've never heard of that. Have we not seen bowtie bull? A lot of these bowtie things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. So there's a big thing going on where a lot of these people are following this guy called bowtie bull, and they're adding bowtie to their name, and they are making content under that brand: bowtie ox, bowtie opossum, etc. You know, some animal with who's bowtie. Whoa! And it's like a loose community, you could say. It's it's not exactly a invite-only community. Anyone can become a member by just making an account with bowtie on it. So can so someone do I like would... bowtie cooking, for example? Yeah, you, yeah, you can do that. Yes, there's there's wow. a couple of people doing cooking content. So in your case, this is what I would recommend: bowtie something. It's an it's an easy on ramp, right? People will immediately understand that you know you're actually a content creator because you're using the term bowtie. and of course all of these guys they kind of promote each other so it's like a good way to get some influence and you know retweets going in the beginning and you recommend him doing it on twitter or any other social media i would say twitter is a good platform for this type of content maybe even youtube yes twitter and youtube and maybe a blog hmm okay a lot of people are creating anonymous content on youtube now where you could get one of those ai voice generators so you just have them read off a manuscript that you wrote and you could have some nice little graphics and such or you could just have your voice without showing your face yeah that's what i do on youtube right just my yeah. voice without showing my face but yeah i i like that ai voice it sounds neat when i was like putting one of my books audio books for like made one of the job offers all of them like there were like five offers that came that had a beautiful voice but all five of them sounded the same so i hit up one of the guys i'm like hey is that your real voice are you are are you using ai he's like i'm using a machine isn't that cool and i was like if you're using a machine what the hell do i need you for i'll just get the machine myself uh, but i called them and they're just like no it has to be a human voice but it's like that's a field that is slowly being um, digitized i know what you're talking about in fact i have my company owns something which uses ai to produce content like the audio content so it turns text to audio there's something called amazon poly which is very useful for this aws poly but can it sample my actual voice or is it just a completely different sound They have like twenty thirty different sounds you can pick from, and if you have like a blog or anything that has text, you can automatically add in like ten seconds the entire transcript of that text and it'll produce an MP three file which has the entire thing being narrated. Wow, narrators, listen up closely. Like this, this may take your job. It's actually really good. The narration quality is really good. Hmm. I can see that. Um. Anything else for this question? Because he has a part two no. as well. Oh, give me the part two. Okay, so I'll read it uh, and I'll post it just so you get like formulate your response. Um, how do you build uh, good friend groups and connections? Like Harsh knows many influential and important people. Also works with smart people and has good friends. How do you find uh, or build such friends slash connections who are ambitious and can be relied upon in times where most are lazy? too soft and non-ambitious what's a long-term 3 to 10 year approach towards having such a network and any advice i can implement now 
Ah, this is a good question, and I will tell you there are two ways to build a network. The first one is where you start reaching out to people and try to get in touch with them, and the second one is where you raise your value so much that other people are reaching out to you. And I think you need to do both. You need to display, especially on you know your whatever your business is while you're doing it. Like let's say you make a social media account. You need to display competence and that you are knowledgeable and you know what you're talking about. You need to show that, and if you can show it, then other people who are also knowledgeable they will want and they will come to you and start talking to you, and you will develop more and more relationships. The one thing is that if you have say five thousand followers, right, it's very unlikely someone with five million followers is gonna come and be friends with you. So of course. A number of followers does not d- define your knowledge or your self worth, but the way business works is that people want to associate with people who are on their size, right? If you have five thousand followers and someone from with five million followers has nothing to gain from you, so they they won't get into this relationship. So you will need to network with people who are on the same size as you are. but the only way to find good ambitious people is by displaying competence and looking for other people who are also displaying competence and reaching out to them or having them reach out to you very good so yeah that's pretty much it like the story of lmm how did we and me and anwar meet because i was being competent arman was being competent in his field and we kind of got into talking with each other and that's kind of what happens with everybody yeah the way that i look at it is building relationships is a lot like building money where there's the active route and then there's a passive route and if we're being realistic you're really going to have to do both where like me and harsh for example are being active as we're creating this podcast right now but once we record the podcast it's up forever and now we could get a lot of sales hypothetically speaking from the description box so with networking like at times you're going to have to be active this is where you're the person that's initiating contact you're the person that's going to these networking events or something of that sort and then the passive route is creating content of something where when you create content like others can see what you're really about and often they'll slide into your dms so i i think you need that mix of active and passive to build a nice network arman what is your take on his first question the first question that's a long question so let me let me make sure i'm answering the right one like on building the brand um in on our niche so mm-hmm. actually i i could give you advice on this cuz i did have a in on account like a fitness uh, account before and i do agree with harsh in this regards where unless you have to show your face you don't need to show your face like a guy like armani talks technically needs to show his face because if he's like hey uh this is how you do facial gestures in a certain youtube video cuz my brand covers communication skills and I'm Anon it hurts my credibility but if I'm hypothetically doing something like teaching people how to make money um hypothetically even fitness cuz the type of fitness that I ran was very similar to like world star hip hop you know what that is harsh world star no. hip hop so world star hip hop doesn't create any of their content instead they see content that is already popping up and they give them a platform So the Anon account that I had was I would see fitness influencers who were already popping off and I would give them a platform and soon like my platform built a community of its own and I could sell products and such 
from that. So for him, like I recommend starting Anon and create some content, um, show people, like really try to teach them. And um, over time, like start off with a niche, but expand into a theme. Um, like I started off with public speaking, but if I'm only trying to speak about public speaking, eventually I just got myself another job. So gradually I went to like social skills, like emotional resilience, content creation and more. And now our money talks is more communication skills versus just public speaking. So I think you should start off with a niche, like really zone in on the stuff that you mentioned, but then think themes. Like what is the theme of my brand? Hmm, that's good advice. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah, because what did LifeMap Money initially start off with? What Was it like self-improvement or was it something money related? Or were you always I was writing on everything. <laughs> there was no theme. It was just advice for men based on what I have learned from my own life. Well, that's a theme. Like what happens is a lot of people tell you to pick a niche and just stay in a niche. And that's how you often like self-implode. Or like let's say someone's like life math money, just talk about accounting. It's like you know, no, like but when you are in a niche, right, you tend to make more money. In my case, my blog was not my source of income. It's just a, it's just a way to collect the lessons I learned from my life and also help other men out. But if I was doing something for money, right, then it would definitely be a niche topic. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think you should start off with niche. But do you think like if you're in it for six to seven years, you should just stay in one niche? I think with these niche things, right, there's not enough things to talk about for six, seven years. After a while, you just run out of content and you just leave the site as is. Like I have a couple of niche sites who talk about certain topics, but they only have a limited amount of information on it. And then I haven't touched them in forever. And their job is to passively make money for me. Mm, I see where you're coming from. Where I see that with YouTube right now, like in 2019, they were like, collection of youtubers who blew up their channels because they were hyper niched on telling you how to like grow your youtube audience okay so they were blowing up they were like 200 300 subscribers even to the millions but now three years have passed by and all of their accounts have just died out because it's like how long can you keep talking about how to grow on youtube and it's like ah. all, all of them are having like this like all of them are are facing the same exact issue where it's like what now? And they're trying to adjust now, and now it's too late. So I think you should start off with niche. You should get profitable, make money and stuff, but gradually start to expand. That's my yeah, yeah, Eventually, you will have to expand. If, if you're on social media, eventually you will have to expand. Or either, if your focus is just SEO, right, then you can just leave it as is and forget about it and keep making money. Mm -hmm. But on social media, where you have to keep making new content, you will run out of content in your niche and then you have to like get broader. Nice. Anything else for Mr. Punit? Nope. And if you have any part two or part three questions, Punit, feel free to uh, answer, uh, ask it. The next one is more so a comment from MK Board. Gentlemen, Swiggy boycott is not just restricted to giving gyan on Hindu festivals. Apparently, a Hindu guy refused to deliver an order of non-veg food to a temple, and Swiggy fired him. He uploaded the incident on social media, leading people to backlash against Swiggy. 
Ah, I came across that. Yeah, so there was a guy in a temple who ordered a non-veg meal, and just so that you can relate to it, think of it as someone in a mosque ordering pork. Mm-hmm. And the guy who's delivering the the DoorDash thing is also Muslim, and he's like, "Wait, I'm not going to deliver pork to a mosque." And right. then DoorDash fires that guy. So mm. I'm going to bet that Muslims are going to be pissed at the guy being fired, right? And the guy for the company for firing the guy. Right, right, right. Because he was able to spot the disrespect. Yeah, he saw he didn't do it because it'll be disrespectful to his religion, and then the company fired him. So the company is in the wrong here. Does this change any of the context of the perception of Swiggy? It just means that it's even worse than what I said about the Hindu (laughs) festival being gotcha maligned. Yeah. Um, next one is from Shivanshu Pandey. What business Harsh Strongman own? Did he have connections in business space before? So I started as a consultant, right? I was doing tax consulting, helping people save money on taxes legally. And, you know, I was also almost a lawyer. I was helping out with a lot of legal things. Then I went into online business, which were affiliate marketing, which I still do. Then I also did other lines of business online, one of which is LMM, although it was a hobby earlier, but now I'm treating it more as a half business, half hobby type thing. And I have two SaaS companies now, one of which is in crypto education, which is teachyourselfcrypto.com. And the other one is into copyright protection of digital products, digital products, which is copyrightsamurai.com. Regarding previous connections, of course, I did have connections with my clients from my consulting days. And yeah, they have been useful, like especially with affiliate marketing, because you know, when you have when there's when you know businessmen, right? Businessmen need tools, and if you know the right tools, you can sell them. For example, if you teach someone that you know they can grow their business by starting an email list, you can sell them, you know, you can tell them which email provided to use and then you can give them an affiliate link and things of that sort so yeah it kind of helped to build the affiliate marketing empire bro you brought up such a good point where if you're consulting people uh, or just even working with your target market you're capable of perceiving something from a completely different angle where in the consulting sessions i offer um one thing that i've realized is a lot of people are not scared of public speaking standing up they're scared of public speaking, sitting down. And what that basically means is for the typical person who's working a job, they're not standing in front of a crowd and giving a talk that often. And if they are, they're preparing for it. Right, Harsh? Like they're getting mm-hmm. this heads up. But what they really fear, what they come to me for, is like, let's say they're sitting in a meeting, right? And their boss is standing and their boss abruptly calls on them. When you're sitting, automatically there's that level of submission versus you standing up because you have less control of your your body. And added to this, they're having to think on their feet. They didn't get the time to prepare. So one very popular service is uh, impromptu speaking with the Armani Talks brand. Like how can you think on your feet better so you can dominate job interviews, answer tough questions and such. And I was like, man, like why don't I create an app out of this? So currently I'm working on an app um, with this development team on teaching you impromptu speaking. Um, But that would not have been an idea at all if I didn't have like a consulting side to the Armani Talks brand. 
So when you were mm. yeah, so when you were mentioning that, I was like, man, like consulting is like, in many ways, market research on crack. <laughs> you, yeah, you make a you bring a very good point. Yes, because yeah, you're like, right about that. Because if like if I never consulted, I'd be like, oh yeah, most people are just afraid of public speaking, like standing up in a front of crowd. And never before would I have thought, oh, it's like when they're actually sitting down. Hmm. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Best of luck with your app. When do you launch? Um, I'll keep you more in touch with that. I'm still working on the. Have you ever made an app before? I have. Okay. Um, like you know, like the whole process of like working out the logic and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. So I I have that. I have like a very alpha model. I could like see if I could send it to you. Um, it's gonna be called Think Fast. So I actually have a book called Think Fast. Which teaches you impromptu speaking, and it's going to be a connection to the app. So launch date is still to be determined, but <clears throat> it's currently being worked on. Awesome! Keep us posted, Arman. You're doing For all sure. this interesting stuff, and we don't even know about it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This is one of those things. Like this is why you guys got to sign up for the Armani Talks newsletter. Um, ArmaniTalks.com/newsletter. It, it has a lot of the like the cool, up-to-date stuff. You can't be shadow banned if if you sign up. So uh, the last one is a comment from Waves Reborn. And this is a comment on our Green Flags video. Did you see that recently? One of our shorts? Yeah, I, I know which video you're talking about. He basically wrote, I wish someone had told me this 15 years back. Today, I'm divorced and broke. Well, luckily, my friend, you know now. You can tell your children. Well, you bought up because I, I think you helped people think about marriage in a different way where it's like don't just focus on the looks focus on like the surrounding factors as well mm -hmm. but you know i hope for his next marriage he finds us helpful sure, if he decides man. to get married again mm -hmm. harsh the um harsh the love guru the marriage guru <laughs> <laughs> the indian hitch Oh man. <laughs> uh, is it late there? It is. Yeah, it's very late here. About to get another meal knockout. Yeah, I have to I have to eat eight eggs before I get some sleep. So oh, man, bro. I'm dreading it already. <laughs> nah. All right, bro. Um, good episode. Oh, we don't have more questions? No, that was it. I mean, we could go on for longer if you want, but I, I thought you were feeling sleepy no i gotta get some eggs now and get some sleep yes i have to wake up at five tomorrow i have a business meet at six so are you back on the 5 a.m challenge every once in a while yes it's not super sustainable for me to keep doing 5 a.m because i have things to do which are later in the night right like this podcast and other things mm -hmm. but tomorrow i have an important business call in the morning so okay i've been like experimenting with going to the gym at afternoon and dude, I don't know about if it's for you, but like when you go in the afternoon, like the gym I go to, there's like these trainers that are just walking around and trying to sell you on their services while you're working out. And it's so annoying. It's like you're playing mental jujitsu with these guys, trying to tell them that you're not interested without offending them. So it's happened like twice since I started to go at 12 p.m. So I'm probably just going to switch back to going at six to seven Arman, in the morning. Arman, yeah. Arman, Arman. 
How about instead of switching, you just learn to be rude to people and tell them I know, I'm not interested. I do. I, I do. I, I do that a lot, but it's just like sometimes annoying too, because like I'm like really in the zone, and someone's like tapping you on the shoulder, and it's just like shit. Like, um, I don't just want to be like a go away. Because the thing with gyms here is you're going to consistently see the people, and I, I've liked the 6 a.m. routine for a while, but I'm looking at these gyms and I'm like, it's such poor etiquette. Like, why would you? like tap someone on the shoulder as they're doing squats and be like, Hey, sir, or are you interested in a, like a free service, blah, blah, blah. And you're just like, cause I, I'm capable of saying like, no, but there are certain people that are like way working out. They stop and they're basically signing up for the service where they're going to ghost the trainers uh, on like the day that they're supposed to go. It's like, man, you guys are really hurting your business doing this right now. I mean, I get where they're coming from, right? Because, I mean, when else are they going to advertise? But yeah, they should do it like either in the beginning of when someone is walking in or when someone, or when someone is walking out, not during training. It would be way better if they just offered like free, like free knowledge area where you could get your body fat measured. Uh, like let's say Harsh has been working on a meal plan. You ask an actual trainer to battle test the meal plan. Is it good? And you're basically getting people coming to you. You, the trainers are now helping people and then you could pick your services but you should not be interrupting people while they're working out i'm like man come on guys like this is almost a dumb idea as in like a lot of gyms here give out donuts at the gym what (laughs) yeah so it's like after donuts or pizza so i don't know what's the worst idea giving out donuts or pizza everything is shit in your country (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah, it's, it's one thing that I noticed recently. I'm just like, bro, like you guys really need to stop. <laughs> and sometimes like these guys are cool. Like you don't want to hurt someone's confidence to a point where it's like, if you're going to keep seeing them, right? So sometimes like I'll be like, nah, nah bro, I'm seriously, I'm not interested. Eventually they'll walk away. Then afterwards, like, you know, a few people in the locker room, they're talking. It's the same guy that like just got turned down for the personal training session is talking with the rest of the folks. So it's like a gym universe is very small. So you don't want to be too rude to someone but I, I would blame the gym more like don't put your customers in a position where they have to play mental jujitsu with these folks oh man all right bro i'm gonna let you go i just wanted to tell you that i i, I know what you mean I, I i still think that it pays off to be rude i mean pays off to not be afraid to be rude because what happens is that Unless you're like, so I, I don't mean be so rude that you hurt the person's ego. But if someone's like you're squatting and someone's like tapping on your shoulder, I'm like, I'm squatting. Or, no, no, it's or actually, like, like, not right yeah. now. They're not that socially incompetent. Like they'll wait till you're done. And then it's like, like, cause me, like I'm trying to go in and out the gym. But when you're over here, like even talking for a little bit and the way that these guys get trained, it's like they get trained to hear for the nose. So it's like, you know how like traditional sales works, right? It's like a no means a yes in the making. So it's like when you tell them no, all they're hearing is like, uh, give me more convincing. Yeah, let me see how I could tackle this objection. (laughs) I feel like a pretty girl when I go to the gym now. (laughs) Man, have you tried doing this? Have you tried telling people I don't have the money? Yeah, no, but. uh, (laughs) <laughs> bro they're trained for this they're gonna be like oh well, we got installment plans you're literally pr- playing mental jujitsu man you gotta think of something sometimes they'll oh, be man. like i actually heard the conversation with the guy next to me 
and the guy next to me, he was like this dorky, like 42 year old guy. And he's just like, yeah, yes, I have a plan. And then the guy's like, a plan from who? And now this guy's having to lie on the spot. He's like, uh, a plan for my coworker. And the trainer's like, does your coworker have any training in uh, personal fitness? Now this guy's like computing. It's just like, shit, like, what am I gonna say now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so he just like, he just like, oh yes, yes, he does. And then now you're already in the conversation. So you don't just wanna leave. Um, and so it's just like, um, Oh man, I can see how that's annoying. Yeah, and then eventually, like this, this guy is very nice. So he just like the trainer's like, okay, I'll give you a free training session on Sunday. How does that sound? And you could tell from this geeky guy's body language, he doesn't like it, but he's just like, all right, sure. And he's just spending ten minutes like filling out this form, and I'm pretty sure he's not gonna show up on Sunday. <laughs> but the next time he comes back to this gym. He's going to get hounded by this personal trainer again. Like, where were you? You ghosted me. What gives? And now it's just like a very poor experience for the customer. Man, at least your, it's better than Planet Fitness, right? Your gym is like a like a pretty expensive gym, right? So you don't see problems like this? Man, my gym is expensive. Firstly, I mostly train at home. Now I have a home gym. But yeah, my gym is frequented by rich people. People who would like, people who would lose their shit if someone started bothering them like this. Hmm. Rich people tend to be rude. Like they, they tend to be very rude if you're like wasting their time. So if you're like selling them something and the guy's rich, he's like, "Fuck off." I I've actually had the exact opposite experience. I've noticed they're very very polite rich people, while broke people are very very rude. No, if you the rich people are polite when you reach out to them appropriately, but if you're like just disturbing them on the street, then they're rude as fuck. Oh yeah, yeah, in the street definitely, but in like I mean, like, you know, if they're not doing something and suddenly you're up and selling them, like they get pissed off. Like, you know, this is supposed to be like the time where they're doing something else, and now you're talking about money again. Like, come on, man. It's something so new, man, because I've been going to the gym at six a.m. for so long that like it's like very empty at that point um and if the people are there it's like they're already just intense and working out in 12 p.m the atmosphere is completely different at a gym it just seems a little bit more sociable in nature um so that's when like they place these personal trainers who i'm assuming are consultants so they get paid for each cell that they get so i understand the business side of it but if i'm the gym owner like you should actually play around with different ideas I like the one that you said where, you know, measure body composition. And that's, I think, where the pitch needs to be. Because right. while the guy's measuring it, he's just standing there, right? Yeah. And it's just like any, like, you should actually have an area in the gym called knowledge area. And it's like our version of lead magnets, right? So you just go uh, and get any questions answered. But now it's like, since you are going to the personal trainer, you view them as this credible resource versus a nuisance and that changes everything and that if, after answering the questions then you could be like hey um how much would it be to like hypothetically train with you and then you just begin like getting actual training sessions so now the lead is very warm versus it being straight up cold hmm that's interesting. Maybe we have someone who runs a gym who's listening and maybe he could give us some insight on why the gyms are behaving this way. 
you haven't noticed that at all, correct? And so in in the gym I go to, you know, you there are no trainers who have to pitch themselves. You have to bring your own trainer. Oh, how do you how do you get that trainer? You get referrals, right? Like a friend of mine has a trainer. He looks good, or you you have other trainers in the gym who are training people, right? So you can just so go and talk work, to them. They don't work at the gym at all. It's like you no, got they some. They don't work at the gym at all. And man, you, that means you're balling, balling. Like you're rich. Get like I'm that not person. rich, but, but humble, yeah, in, in my gym, you can almost everybody brings their own trainer. Okay, I have not heard that concept. For the most part, I see trainers within the gym, and then you get assigned a trainer. No, so the, that's what I'm telling you. So you know when I'm saying rich people are like rude, right? Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a different type of rich people and not exactly like American rich, but a lot of these rich people are not ultra rich, but they are rich enough to be significantly rich. And the gym I'm talking about is where you bring your own trainer. So if someone is bothering you here, you'd be like, what the fuck? Like you would actually be a little shocked. Like, why are you selling me? Yeah. In that context, it's way different. Cause it's like, can't you see I'm already training with someone? Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Like, if I wanted to hire you, I would come and talk to you. Yeah, versus if you're just working out by yourself. Oh, it's yeah, like, in that case, it's different. Yeah, yeah. It's like a pickup artist, like, hitting on a girl that's, like, clearly with a boy. It's like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> versus a girl that's just, like, eating by herself. Yeah, so the, the trainers here will pitch you indirectly where, you know, when the when the other trainer is not around, he'll come and, like, you know, give you a tip. You know, you're doing something wrong, and this is how you can fix it. Right. And, you know, so they're more subtle about it. They won't like directly give you a sales pitch, but they'll come and give you some advice or offer you help. Like if you need someone to spot you, let me know, please. See, that's Uh, why I didn't want to hurt the guy's confidence because like the first guy's just from his body language, I could tell like he was new to this. So he was like really like, and I guess like I was one of his like first like approaches. So I'm just like, okay, like this guy's nervous. (laughs) I don't want to be like mean to him, but I just kept like politely saying no. And then it's like, so it's, I do get your perspective though, like being like very blunt. Um, but it's just like you see these people too much. It depends on how you're approached. In the sense that if someone is approaching you politely and you're being rude to them, then you're just an asshole, right? But right. if someone is actually pushing you, like like when you're saying no and they're like, this is an objection, I need to you know, give you the, the second sales pitch to your objection to the third sales pitch. But they do yeah, it you're like gonna a, get like a fuck off pretty fast. Like, get the fuck out of here. They do it in like such a smooth way, where it, like, some of them are like weird with it, but some of them are like very like smooth with it. Like when the guy, like the geeky guy, like the forty-two year old guy, was over here trying to like play with this other guy. Uh, in terms of the the gymnastics, he was losing, man. Because if you have some idea of sales, you could tell that that guy was hearing an objection overcoming it and like spinning a line but he was doing it in such an elegant way where this guy was just getting like hit hard and just like oh man okay fine i'll sign up for your service <laughs> it's like some people are not smooth with it but some people are smooth with it but then it's like after you do the whole um you sign up for their free service it's like oh, man sundays are my off day now i committed to go to this thing, this huh. thing yeah. yeah either i go or either i just ghost on 
Oh man. I can't believe they don't let you bring your own trainers in your gym. I mean, you technically can. Uh, like they they don't say like hey don't do that. Um but no one does. It's, uh, because to get a trainer like can you give a rough price for that? Like do you I pay know, 200 bucks a month? Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like you can literally just that could just be your gym buddy and then you just bring them and they train you. That's just not a concept. Like um some people do uh, bring their trainers but they're like these athletes and stuff or they're just training with like their gym buddy who's also a fellow athlete. But a lot of people are just coming to the gym, working out and leaving. Like I I think I recall from one of our past episodes you mentioned that you're like a talker at a gym, right? Like you chit chat a lot. Are you used to? I used to, I used to. Okay. Nowadays like, I don't have enough time to chit chat, right? This yeah. was back when I was 16, 17 years old I would talk to everybody. Yeah. But now I just don't have the bandwidth. Do you stay in the gym for really long? One and a half hours, two hours. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's why a lot of people are doing home gym nowadays. Um um so it really depends. The big advantage of home gym that I found is that you don't have to wait for equipment. And you know sometimes when you're squatting heavy weights you got to wait like 10 minutes between sets, 12 minutes between sets. So you can do something else in those 12 minutes as opposed mm-hmm. to just sitting around. Do you find it difficult to get motivated when you're working out at home? I have never had motivation yeah. issues. Never had that. Never never even in my life I've had motivation issues. Right. No, cuz some people are like I would work out at home, like it saves me a lot of time, but I just like being in the scene. And it, it's like very similar to working from home versus going to the office. Like some people are like ah, I can't work from home for too long because I'll just be a lazy sack of shit. While other people are like oh no no, like I could be most productive then cuz no one's telling me what to do. I can see different types of people behaving differently. Mm-hmm. That is true. Like like can you see yourself ever going to an office? Sure, I have an office. I go there occasionally. No, but like going to like a corporate office at a set time. Like you did it back in the days when you were doing accounting, but do you still see yourself doing that? Man. You la- you you can't pay me enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Because after um COVID happened here, like a lot of people in the corporate life discovered what it's like to work from home and they thought this was going to be the new norm and then what happened was like a couple of months back a lot of companies are now expecting you to work at the office not work from home and it's just like some people are kicking and screaming about this they're like I'll quit before I go back to the office again <laughs> and some people are just like well you know it was good while it lasted but it's getting a lot of people to think differently they're like wait a minute I've been doing my job for the past 67 months without going to the office. Why do I now need to go back to the office? So they're asking questions that before they would have never even dreamed of asking. I'm happy, I'm happy about that. I think that work from home is the future. It's far better for the employer, saves them rent, better for the employee, better for the environment, better for traffic. Just a superior system. If you have to steal men at the go to the office crew it works better for startups it works better for startups if you go to the office right because there are so many things happening and one person has so many responsibilities 
that at a startup it's much easier and things happen much faster when you're in the office because the boss can just tell you okay hey come here you do this 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 but when you have a bigger company that has you know bureaucracy and your job role is very defined it makes sense to allow work from home right and that those are the companies that are often telling people to come to the office now the bureaucratic companies the bureaucratic companies they're just using it as an excuse to fire people so come to the office and if you can't come to the office you're fired and mm-hmm. it's like a way of doing layoffs i didn't think about without that. actually doing layoffs right just annoy the employee enough and they'll go away yeah all right my friend um i'm going to let you eat your eggs yeah have a good day arman and if you guys have more questions leave them in the comments we'll answer them in the next episode and see you guys in 2 weeks take care take care